We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awooga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello, and welcome to issue 11 of the Dwarfcast magazine rack, brought to you by Ganymede and Titan. This is the latest instalment of our ongoing mission to reread, digest, and dissect every single edition of the Red Dwarfs magazine, issue by issue. I'm Ian Symes, a sentient neural net comprising all magazine related information, and I'm joined as always by two nerds who have been taking stupid drugs Jonathan Capps. Uh, hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. Today we're discussing Volume 1, Issue 11, and as always we recommend having the mag in front of you as you listen. If you don't have a physical copy, you can find a link to a PDF in the show notes on your podcast app or at www.ganymede.tv. But first, let's set the scene by once again firing up the time drive as we begin a whole new year of Smegazines in January 1993. Happy New Year! An oil tanker runs aground on Shetland, spilling 85,000 tonnes of crude oil into the sea. The front fell off. <laughs> The first British fatality is recorded in the conflict in Bosnia, and unemployment increases for the 31st month running. Happy New Year! <laughs> and the plus side, it turns out that Diana does want to divorce Charles after all, despite what she said earlier. Expect this to be a theme for all remaining magazines. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bill Clinton is inaugurated as the 42nd President of the United States. However, we're reserving judgment on what tone to take on jokes about him pending the release of the Epstein Files. <laughs> the 1st of January sees the launch of four new ITV franchises, with Carlton, Meridian, West Country and GMTV replacing Thames, TVS, TSW and TVAM respectively. Moreover, Teletext Limited replaced Oracle as the Teletext provider for ITV and Channel 4, bringing with it the legendary Bamboozle and Digitizer, the style of which you'll recognise if you read any early GMT articles written by me. <laughs> There were also a huge number of new shows launching in January, including Tots TV, Breakfast with Frost, The Animals of Farthing Wood, Zap, The Revived Celebrity Squares, Stephen Moffat's Joking Apart, Lenny Henry's Chef, and Jasper Carrot's The Detectives. Radio 2 launched Wake Up to Wogan, while ITV brought us The Good Sex Guide. With expert knowledge and experience across all the raunchiest of sexual practices, Terry Wogan stayed on Radio 2 until 2009. <laughs> <laughs> Tots TV immediately was like, oh, it wasn't 1992, no fucking way, but yeah, it was. In 1993, GT's childhood was launched. <laughs> yeah. When this issue was released on the 31st of December 1992, the number one film in the UK box office was The Bodyguard, starring Kevin Costner, Whitney Houston, and Mac McDonald, while the number one single in the UK music charts was I Will Always Love You from the soundtrack to The Bodyguard, performed by Whitney Houston and Mac McDonald. <laughs> and speaking of raunchy sexual practices, let's take a look at the cover to this month's magazine. Ooh, I like girls. <laughs> Chris Barry's I mean, nipples are not symmetrical. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Chris Barry's nipples are not bad. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. I, I think it's just how he's got his. He's turned, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's, he's not likely way. to turn in this situation. <laughs> Yeah, Rimmer's sex life as a whole sort of major part of this. It's quite the piece. <laughs> well, I've heard it's more like a baby carrot, but... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's certainly going to get people's attention on the on the shelves, isn't it? Yeah, they know their audience, like, this early on. Like, yeah, the, the 
Chris Barry, the, the, the Baronets, what they called, Caratists. <laughs> the Baronites. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, it's mostly just a big picture of Chris Barry's tits and the Inquisitor in the corner. Yeah. The return of the Inquisitor after many, many issues. Yeah. I didn't go back and check, but like the vast majority of the covers until this point have been artwork, original artwork. Until presumably they discovered the cost and time savings brought forth by just using a <laughs> big photo of Chris Barry's tits. Yeah. There only in the ten previous issues there was one photo cover, issue eight, which was a picture of Lister with his bazookoid, but other than that they have been all artwork all, all until artwork. this point. Yeah. Yeah, no spoilers, but we'll see. We'll all see. Future issues. Should we turn over? Mm. I will scroll down. Yes. <laughs> Credits. Little editorial complaining about working over Christmas, which seems unlikely. Just to get it out of the way. The the second page shares its time with uh, Androids. Mm-hmm. The contents are very not sparse, but just like succinct. This is all we're gonna do. There's lots of long. There's lots of big features, isn't there? Yeah, like it. Big, big it's chunky. Yeah, it's exactly 40 pages, like all the others, but like, yeah, each one is is substantial, you know. A greater percentage of the input. Pleasing way, yeah. There's a thanks to credit for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who, I would like to point out, does not fucking whinge about having to work over Christmas. (laughs) He just gets on with it. Okay, so, uh, yep. So, uh, news from the dwarf. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um i mean it's it's there i guess having it on the contents page makes it feel like a little bonus extra thing that you can ignore if you want to it doesn't feel like it's an integral <laughs> yeah part of the magazine it makes it more throwaway at least probably it's the way to look at it it's one coherent. I say coherent. It's one continuous <laughs> strip. It's it's not like uh, well, yeah. quite yeah, literally. It's, it's just one, one continuous scene. strip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hang on a minute. <laughs> so the one that is the madam at the android brothel. She's the one that's married to Brooke and is having the affair, right? Or is that her friend? Um, Kelly. Hang on. Yeah, Kelly is the one that's the android brothel. Yeah, yeah. and she's also so, the one who's married to Brooke. I mean, trying to connect it to the previous and the next instalments is probably a bad move. <laughs> yeah. But Which but yeah, okay, so itself, yeah. Yeah, so Kelly's got all sorts of secrets going on basically. I find it implausible that she could hide the fact that she is the madam at a brothel though. Um I've just noticed there's Morse code in the first panel. Is it? Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. That looks like it. I've just run that through a Morse code translator and it says art by Kev F. Oh, nice! Oh. <laughs> so there we uh, go. Right. That's cool. It's like technically, you know, you need to credit yourself, but you like you just didn't, you didn't want it, put it out there. Sort of like Alan Smithy kind of yeah, the Morse code instead of the Alan Smithy. That's good though. I mean, we spotted it. Yeah, yeah. Listening, Kev. We, we noticed, mate. Let's just move on to the exciting things, which are basically pretty much everything past this point. So, news from the dwarf leads with. Hattie's leaving. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's not—it's information coming from the agent as well. Not even Hattie. It's like she doesn't even like. They must and crucially, just... not from Rob and Doug or from Grand Naylor Productions. Yeah, yeah, and they've got loads of 
I mean, they're, they were probably done a bit before then, but they've got loads of little bits from Rob and Doug throughout the magazine. So, yeah, it's odd that... Well, I guess it wasn't confirmed. Maybe we'll get a confirmation. But, like, it's it's weird seeing this kind of happen in real time. Something, obviously, we're very familiar with and just accepted that it had happened, really. It's just something that happened in the past, whereas here it's like... It must be weird. It seems odd that they broke the news themselves in this sort of we don't really know what's going on way as an official publication yeah yeah when like surely it would have been more sensible to wait until you had a proper word from robin doug and so you can explain and address everything if this was like you know gnt if mm. this was a fan thing then yeah of course they're going to have unconfirmed bits of news and rumor from all over the shop but for an official publication to have a We've heard that Hattie's leaving and we don't know why or what's going on. Uh, we'll try and find out from Rob and Doug. It just seems really weird for an official thing. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. This is this is a, this is something that JNT would write. Um, yeah. Like, you know, we thought to email the agent because we'd heard rumours or something. I don't know. I think the last issue or maybe one before, they were actually talking about, you know, like how the fans want Holly to do more. Yeah. And so people would have been expecting her maybe to be coming back with with a vengeance a bit more. And then suddenly, well, no. (laughs) Well, you might have interpreted this as, okay, they're they're rebooting the character of Holly because this is, they say we don't know what this means for the character, whether Holly will disappear or whether she'll be recast or if there's going to be a whole new character that's like taking the place of Holly. So I might have thought, right, they're properly rebooting it. They're, they're changing the character. They're doing a whole new thing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe people thought Norman was coming back. Yeah, actually, that probably would have been what... Uh, yeah. It's weird because it says there have been rumours that a new regular character could be joining the crew. Who? Where have, the room, where have these rumours come from, Jane yeah. Killick? <laughs> Who said this? Because I've never heard this, this theory in my life. I mean, rumours is like... You know that that could come from anywhere from Red Dwarf is going could to just be, be speculation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like someone yeah. someone said something once, and then is, someone went, "Oh, what what? That's going to happen?" And then you know that's, that's is is this the early the early rumblings of Kachansky coming maybe. back? Maybe uh, it's take another three years. Yeah, it's interesting considering what they say about Holly later. But yeah, we'll get there. Mm. Yeah, that fucking hell. There's lots to say about that interview. Mm. <laughs> Explaining Red Dwarf. The BBC have asked Grant Naylor Productions to make a program explaining Red Dwarf to people that are new for the show. This eventually <laughs> metamorphosized into the first scene of Sirens. Yeah, or, or Henry Normal gets idea for the first three million years. <laughs> I don't, actually, I don't know. Was was that a Baby Cow production? First three million. Years? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was right, North One. North One. North One gets idea. Interesting. Okay, so yeah, basically. Oh, that's good. That that's that's good writing then, because because it's brilliant Robin writing. Like gone, like oh, we can do this in the next series. Don't worry about it. We can just you know, we can yeah. save you some money by doing that. Yeah, we can just <laughs> the the opening secret like list of waking up and having amnesia is just them re-establishing for any new viewers, getting people up to speed about what the situation is and where yeah. they are, and adding in for the existing viewers. Um, we've lost Red Dwarf as well. Yeah, lost Red Dwarf and having that gap and making it feel like a reboot also allows you to accept mm. Holly not being there as part of the story rather than part of the production. Um, yeah. yeah, like, look, looking back, like, Sirens is is fucking genius in that way because at the time, watching it, I would never have said, oh, yeah, we're resetting things for new viewers. It was just yeah. it was just a good start yeah, to an yeah. episode, an intriguing start to an episode. Yeah. Um, 
They're pretty good, aren't they? These guys, these guys. <laughs> it's just you know we've said it a thousand times, but it's just a shame that the series in which that happens is the last series that they they work yeah. on together, yeah. and then it never happens after that. So. <clears throat> when they've been improving and yeah, yeah. finding new ways to do things the whole time. I mean, stop. again, lots of evidence as to what happened in this particular thing. Yeah, because um, yeah, it's like saying, so the next, basically on that, on that same subject, the next bit is about scripts and stories mm. and stuff. So Rob's saying that the new scripts for Series 6 are frighteningly close. Obviously, those who know about Out of Time know that they, they, they just didn't write it. Fucking yeah. yeah, they maybe have an outline at this point, possibly. And again, they're working on a pilot for another <laughs> show entirely. So whether they never planned on making more Red Dwarf after this and just decided to move on to other projects, who who knows what the original? Plan the ten, they had the ten percenters lined up. I mean, this is this is where the cracks will start, right? Like you can see it because yeah. they're just overworked stressed and like the 10 percenters is is a flashpoint as we know from man in the rubber mm. mask um so yeah getting to the end and also when they start settled down to work on the 10 percenters they didn't know whether or not red dwarf usa would take off and be a massive thing so it was like it could have been partly well we don't need to do any more red dwarf because the americans are going to do it mm. now so let's do something else oh so that's what that's what the the basic plan was the 10 percenters was going to be the next project they were going to work on when red dwarf was was shifted over but potentially neither yeah. of that those things been... happened eventually okay no. <laughs> yeah well 10 ers did happen technically well like, oh, yeah it, it, of course it was but... a thing it was two series wasn't it but i just think it's 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 weird, like for me, my brain's just like, well, you know, you rang Red Dwarf and it's very successful, but again, you know, you've done six series of it, which for most sitcoms is a lot of series. Like, obviously, you know, with hindsight, we'd be like, well, it, yeah, we're on our th- you know, 13th series. You know, that doesn't happen. <laughs> you don't get series that run for that unless no. they are. <laughs> it's only because Red Dwarf went on to be so long running that we look back on it and think of it as yeah. You know, as being a remarkable thing. Because, <clears throat> yeah, to do, like, even. Because they were talking. In the, remember when we rewatched the Series 3 documentary? And they were talking about how when they did the last day, they didn't know whether they were coming back. And they kind of assumed that it'd be three series and done because, you know, you've done three series. Why would you need to do any more? Yeah, <laughs> like, well, oh, that was good. Things, Let's yeah. just park it there. And everyone would have been perfectly happy to walk away at that stage, pretty yeah. much. So I know the Red Dwarf's a bit of an anomaly and doesn't really sort of fit the you know the standard model for a, a sitcom or you know but it just yeah it's, yeah it's kind of with knowing how red dwarf works and how the writers had so much more to give it's weird that they wouldn't want to stop at six but again thinking about it in a, in a you know typical normal way of course why would you yeah. want to work on something new after doing six series of something yeah that sounds completely normal <laughs> yeah we're just like no make more of it Especially for a new channel and working under Paul Jackson as well. Yeah, that would, that would again, yeah. Again, having that, having that, that. Um, oh God, I won't say safety net, but just you know, having that established partnership okay. yeah. and established yeah. working. You know, but again, it's like I don't know. It's it's weird because it's like the whole thing with Paul and the BBC. Maybe it, maybe it was a case of because it was ITV, it was different. Therefore, we can and we'd have a bit more clout now. Now that we're mm. you know we you know it's like maybe it would be a different arrangement. But I don't know. But anyway, it doesn't matter because there's a Red Dwarf film on the way. <laughs> <laughs> there you Another go. One. 
January 1993, <laughs> we think this may be the first mention of there's a Red Dwarf film just around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> and I, as well, like, so in 92, <laughs> there would have been like, there's going to be American series. We might have to do a new one for you, uh, for BBC. We're doing the 10 percenters. There might be a film. Fucking yeah. talk about overwhelming. <laughs> and we're going to do the third novel anytime as well. Yeah. 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 Fucking third novel after series six. But, um, I mean, so far, out of the three films mentioned in this news story, um, Red Dwarf <laughs> yeah. is the only one to have not yeah. made it. <laughs> yeah, they mentioned Hitchhikers, which came, it was, what, about 2006, 2007 that finally came out? Yeah. Doctor Who film, 1996, not too far to wait. A couple of years, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you call it a film. <laughs> TVM. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I, I would never really see it, apart from the fact that it's literally called... You know, a movie. movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I've never really seen it as a as a movie. No, it was made as a TV movie as a backdoor pilot. Pilot, yeah. Known is like as a kind of proof of concept that a series would work. So you start with essentially a feature length version and then do, which you know, Star Trek TNG started with a feature length like TV movie length mm. episode and then settled down. New uh, Battlestar Galactica did that as well. Their mm. pilot is like a three-hour miniseries slash maxi movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Red Dwarf program guide available soon from all good bookshops. The only thing to mention here is that Virgin are publishing it. Yep, there's definitely no other connection. Is there anything else to mention? No, don't <laughs> think so. Yeah, it's so weird that they don't mention that it's written by. The people in the magazine zone. <laughs> Apart yeah. from the, I guess you know the image of the the cover, but like, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's quite it's quite humble of them to not mention it. To be fair, because it would be yeah. the perfect place. To, <laughs> I mean, it's you know, Jane. To... It's Jane writing this, right? So she she oh, doesn't have yeah. personal yeah. skin in it. But okay. yeah, interestingly, there's something I've only just noticed. Chris Howarth isn't credited as a writer in this edition of this magazine. Oh, really? The first time. I wonder if he was finishing yeah. off the book. Too busy. Yeah. Steve Lyons is. Yeah. But Chris isn't. But as we'll see, Joe Nazaro takes on much more of the writing duties this time around. Like yep. last time, he did one interview, <laughs> and and now he's, he does the bulk of the written content. Him and Jane Killick. So we're in a, a sort of transitional period away from the core writing team that wrote literally every every piece of prose yep. in the first six or seven issues was them. And then slowly but surely, it's become a much bigger mix, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dare I say we're getting into a golden age here, based on the quality of this issue Yeah, as a whole. The quality of the writing, in particular, compared to the previous ones, it seems to be yeah. far more of interest and far fewer duds. It, it's definitely our sort of stuff, right? Behind the scenes, more detail-orientated stuff that would, you know... Would turn into what fandom was in like the early 2000s i guess like you know more analysis and they're already promising us more behind the scenes stuff of 10 percenters and cyberzone yeah. as yeah. well can't wait for that <laughs> uh it's so weird to read people talking about cyberzone yeah. <laughs> in like a promotional <laughs> like having hope for the series and talking about how exciting it is and how different it is rather than a notorious flop I loved it though when it went, when it was. I mean, it, out. you know, it was ambitious. Like you can't deny that it wasn't an ambitious idea. The, yeah, 
we looked at an episode for GNTV, link in the show notes, and the, my conclusion was that the concept was good. It was just the technology wasn't there yet. And if you'd tried it a few years later, then maybe it would have been better. Like now you've got VR and, you know, motion tracking and all the rest yeah. of it. And all well, that. I mean, this was it. This was so first wave VR. Like, you know, mm. you could, what you could say about Cyberzone, you could say about, you know, the big VR headsets at the time. And I believe we've talked about this before, but yeah. like, yeah, the, the Game Boy VR or whatever it was called, what was it, Virtual Boy Virtual is that Boy. long mm. from coming out and then yeah, the PC, PC or like arcade based VR was definitely a big thing at this point, so yeah, it was always like, this is like just close it, it, we're not quite there yet, yeah. but it was like a Tomorrow's World type thing or a, you remember Bad Influence, oh, we remember Bad Influence because Danny's brother was on it <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the episode of the Virtual Boy which is weirdly enough it was it yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I remember on Bad Influence they're constantly talking about VR as being like the next thing. Like we've got our Mega Drive, our Mega Drive, we've got our Mega Drives and our SNESes, and the next generation we're all going to have VR. Yeah, because you can't go any further, surely, with the the yeah. graphics. You know, like yeah, the next step would have to be VR. That, that's just <laughs> what we've been saying for ever since, really, isn't it? It's like, and it, it always, it always like te- like especially with gaming technology, it always seems to settle back onto what is the path of least resistance. Really, like v- VR's been functionally amazing for years and years and years now, but it still hasn't taken off. It hasn't become a new normal. It hasn't, you know, it is still a niche thing, despite the fact that PlayStation yeah. have put so much into it. But what will always be the case is that <laughs> flat screen games will uh, will always be there. You know. It's never going to yeah. replace anything, and it's often easier with them to have like a coherent control system and to make them more yeah. accessible, yeah. more able to just pick up and do rather than the sort of VR always feels like a specialist interest thing. It never feels yeah. like it's going to replace traditional stuff. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly not going to fucking replace the office, like all this virtual office stuff that Oculus tried to, sorry, Meta, Meta tried to push all the time. Like, you'll be doing your work in VR. It's like, not if I want to keep my eyesight past 50, I fucking won't. (laughs) Anyway, Red Dwarf 4 is out on video. Yeah, fucking is. And Steve Lyons seems a bit pissed off about it. (laughs) I mean, at the time, it was like, it seems like the BBC pulled the rug out and said, well, Series 1 will be next. Ah, oh, no, we'll put out Series 4 instead. And he's like, oh, how dare they BBC Worldwide put out something more commercially viable in the short term? Yeah. Now, to me, it seems weird that there doesn't seem to be an understanding from this that all episodes will just be released at the nearest opportunity because that's how I always yeah. figured that videos worked like it went on the telly and then a year or so later or six months later it came out on video and that was it yeah. it seemed like well why are they releasing this on video because they've only just repeated it <laughs> yeah well I mean yeah and surely everyone I mean even then like in the early 90s not everyone has a video recorder I didn't in 93 I don't think I did. It, it does. It seems very weird. And now, if things aren't streaming within two weeks of them coming to the cinema, people are like, well, what the fuck? When, yeah. Can, you know. Um, yeah, it's a funny one. And, like, like it seems pretty, like... It actually confused me. The wording of this confused me because it says here, what does it say? About, like, oh, it's a bit weird that they're doing it in two releases. And I was like, what are you talking about? They've always done it in two releases, bite one, bite two. But what he means is normally bite one and bite two come out on the same day. Yeah, yeah. Whereas these were a couple of weeks apart. Whereas yeah. these were a couple of weeks apart, yeah. <laughs> so not he's not complaining, like, isn't this a bit much? 
to pay for three episodes at a time. Like no mention of yeah. that. <laughs> but yeah, it, I enjoyed the fact that most of this review is just a big deviation about uh, episode ordering and the difference between yeah. the planned broadcast order, the actual broadcast order, then the repeats, and then the videos. <laughs> the conclusion of which is just these are in the no- normal order you'd expect. But yeah. I uh, appreciate spending half the runtime on that kind of detail. I'd appreciate it a little bit more if he wasn't wrong about Meltdown, though. I mean, yeah. Because he says that Meltdown was always going to be last, and it wasn't. It was going to be first. Which yeah. is actually stated later on in the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> also, did anyone else know that the first repeat run was done in the original intended order? I did. You did. Because of... Um, Christopher Wickham's <laughs> blog. Ah, oh, yeah. of course. Did we not do an article on... Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah but it would have been yeah. someone other than me, so I haven't retained it the information. John, it was John. It was John about 22 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. Okay, because that, that's really interesting, because that was never, like, that's never an order like, oh, the, you know, the lo- the mythical lost order, or, like, normally you'd get that with the original broadcast order, like we did with Fives, like, yeah. oh, finally, you know, the DVDs comes out, and we get the original broadcast order, and that was, you know, whereas this is just, like, what would have been maybe mentioned in a few meetings was, like, we'd quite like Meltdown to go out first, and then for that to be canonised in a repeat run is really mm. strange to me. <laughs> also strange to me, and we've definitely said this before, but, like, the idea of saying oh we can't put these out because of a war that's ongoing but it'll be fine it'll probably be done in four weeks like what the fuck <laughs> i didn't realize that dimension jump was part of that fallout as well i thought that um yeah it was just meltdown but dimension jump like ace remember being this kind of top gun character is also offensive i was like fucking really that is bullshit man. that's really fucking weak isn't it i mean it's already bullshit it's just like we can't have anti an anti-war sentiment going out when we're while we're you know uh bombing the shit of iraq like that's bullshit enough but like you know but to stretch yeah. it to like ace remember's a war hero type no he's not he's a test pilot you fucking idiots <laughs> <laughs> oh dear you know, you're saying that we're too sensitive these days, but I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely been a shift, and you can measure it in Gulf Wars as well, because I think by the time the second Gulf War rolled around, there was more of a healthy cynicism permitted. It wasn't quite as gung-ho. Yeah. Like, I feel like in the early 90s, you still had that keep calm and carry on mentality with the British establishment when it came to war it's like we have to back our boys, we have to do this and that, that the BBC along with all the other broadcasters was party to, but I feel like by, you know, another 10-15 years after this it wouldn't have been as much of an issue if an issue at all to have an anti-war message screening during wartime I mean, because apart from anything else from about 2001 onwards when has there not been wartime Mm -hmm. involving either Britain or one of its closest allies, so Shall we go to the next page? Yeah. Next. I feel like if I was a bit more of a proper sci-fi fan, I'd be able to immediately reel off like what this is ripping off. <laughs> where, where? <laughs> because it's such a cool idea. Like, I'm, I, All I can think of is uh, Ex- Existence. Have you seen that film? The gun made out of flesh and teeth. But... It's a really cool. It's a it's a really cool concept. It is. It's like you know, there's some Geiger like you know stuff going on here. But like, yeah, it's it's. I'd love to have seen like like it's like it's like DNA, but just ramped up. You know. Mm. Yeah. A few more I steps. mean, I I I struggle to understand 
this <laughs> past the point. Like, yeah. some, there's something that really isn't translated well, or I don't know if it's me, or just you know, I've, I've read it, I've read it at least three times, and I'm still getting stuck at the same point. I'm like, what is it? Is that, that it, game here? Is that when around the new life being created? Yeah. It's exactly yeah. that, and it, it just there's something about the the topography, and I'm not quite sure who's meant to be talking, and da, 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 da. it's a little yeah. bit messy. But 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 I mean the the concept itself is interesting. The idea of water being a circuit, like the idea of using yeah know, liquid liquid as a as a, a data transfer system, is kind of cool. Yeah. Like that's although yeah. you are talking about homeopathy at this point. <laughs> well, one <laughs> one of our readers will almost certainly has better sci-fi chops than us. Will almost certainly kind of. Give us a bit I mean, more context. For this it does. It does make me feel about. It does make me think of aliens. To be fair, I mean, you know, yeah. the whole thing about saying um, going down, don't do the maintenance network, and then they're going. Yeah. Down, you know, they're, they're seeing like water dripping on them and stuff. It's like I, immediately I'm thinking of you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. When when the I can't remember the name. They're like, nah, they're supposed to be a fucking sci-fi fan. When he's going down to look for the cat in Alien and. Um, the water's dripping down, then it's no longer water; it's something else. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah. yeah they, they, they kind of brings to mind that kind of stuff. But it's a, it again, you know, cool looking um, ship. Yeah, yeah, really fucking cool. And the way I the way I interpret kind of what happens at the end. So when when Lister's in there, and then when Holly comes in, and you, you know, you, when you get in the square boxes, which is that is the the new life form starting to kind of wake up and mm-hmm. whenever anything mm. in comics when it's in a square box like that that is a narrator almost like that's someone talking to the reader and no one else can hear yeah or or it's someone maybe yeah like think like narrating something after the fact or there's like there is like this un unseen kind of um yeah. force talk <clears throat> an extra presence yeah an extra presence isn't necessarily interacting with the characters themselves yeah so this is it waking yeah, I get... up, taking dave as a template and then <clears throat> that's what kickstarts its life basically yeah i think a lot of the ambiguity and confusion is kind of deliberate i think it's not supposed to be straightforward and linear and oh. i totally agree with danny that the first few times that I read this, I was baffled and struggled to get into it as a result. But on this occasion, having reread it, having remembered it as the one where Lister goes and accidentally creates a new life form in AI thing, mm-hmm. then I was able to sort of pass it a little bit better with my memory of what it and you know the ending and how it all pans out. I found it easier to follow, and yeah, that realization of ah, when it's the square box of texts, then that's the AI talking, and when it's not, that's our characters. Yeah, and they don't hear. I don't think. Yeah, but like as a, <laughs> a ten-page comic, it's extraordinary the range of styles that they have within it. Yeah, and how it because it's the same artist as the end, Alan Burroughs. Yeah. yeah. And I seem to remember we've been like we were very impressed with the style. Yeah. There. Like he's he seems particularly good with broad strokes. Like when when they're actually in the simulation. Also, Rob and Doug get idea for Gunman of the Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, you've got the bulk of it is in the recognizable style from the end, and then you've got the sections that are in the Matrix where yeah. it's a completely different art style all of a sudden like the character designs are different the backgrounds are abstract yeah. and all kinds of odd details <laughs> when you first see Holly appear in there and she gets a body there's like a note scrawled in the background saying you're really Craig Charles the actor from the BBC 
Is that what that says? No. I think so. Oh, yeah. Because it's the wrong yaw which threw me off at the start. Oh, yeah. And that's Bloody cool. hell. Oh, okay. That's I, got, I was literally just trying to read that when I woke up what it said. And that, yeah, okay. Yeah. Doug gets idea for Back to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Out of the Red. <laughs> Do we need to explain the plot of this? Because, like, I can't. As I best we can. It. <laughs> for the benefit I'll of the I'll explain as fast as I can until the bit I don't. So they come across. Okay. So they come across the ship. So basically, um, Holly's been bollocks, basically saying that they're not monitoring deep space sensors, and that's what she's been busy doing. Then realise that they've never had it on. So they turn it on, mm-hmm. and immediately they get a signal, and it comes from the <laughs> ship, and um, really sort of unusual-looking, spiky ship. And then they do the DNA thing, where they split up into two teams, and um, Lister and the cat come across the uh, sort of like a water-based network. So like everything's sort of all the sort of the matrices and the the circuitry is all based on water, and then Crichton turns something on which sets the ship off, which sends a jet of water up through Lister, which basically is like in the middle of a a stream of data, which basically digitizes him, and then they have to try and get him back by making him realize who he is, otherwise he'll lose himself inside the system. Get him to figuratively. It's very very sort of you know metaphysical and you know kind of what Red Dwarf does good. You know. Better than life yeah. as well. Very, very better than life. Novel, yeah. the novel. Yeah. Well, yeah, they achieve it by plugging Holly into the system in the same way they plug Crichton into the system in Better Than Life yeah. slash Infinity. Yeah, and also let um, them plug themselves in for gunmen to help. Crichton yeah. Out. Yeah. Again, yeah, you're right. Like Crichton gets lost in the system, and then they have to plug someone in to get him out. So yeah, to get him out, make exactly him realise who he is. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's, a uh, it's a classic. It's a classic <gasps> concept, isn't it? Really. It's a, it's a classic. It's a classic. It is a classic. That is a classic. So this is broadly achieved by Holly walking about with a body looking a bit sexy. And they get pissed and play pool and have a philosophical discussion. And I think that's the kind of the straightforward bit. But the extra bit, the confusing bit, is this third voice that's in there. Yeah. And that is the new AI life form uh, that has now gained sentience thanks to Lister being the final piece in the puzzle. Yeah. And so while this is going on, you've got an extra story in the background of this thing gaining consciousness and figuring out what it is and how it interacts with the world at the same time as Holly is reminding Lister who he is and how he interacts with the world. Yeah, Because if he'd stayed in there, he would have been merged into this gestalt as well, which again, that's an old sci-fi concept of like these shared consciousness networks. It's a big yeah. George R. R. Martin been, thing, for example. Yeah, he'd have been borged. He would have been, but it, as it happens, he was in there just long enough for the AI to get his template and spark the life, and then he escapes. Yeah. Then straightforward again. They Lister escapes. They go back to Red Dwarf. Everything's fine. But the new life that Lister has created dies because Cat pisses in it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that, that I had to read that twice to work out what happened. <laughs> so yeah, this yeah. is this is pretty grim as a concept. Like this thing yeah, has just yeah. discovered that it's just alive and then it literally gets blinked out of existence by the cat needing to have a piss. Um, yeah. yeah. Which was, you know, good foreshadowing was going on throughout the, <laughs> <laughs> throughout the strip. That we've established that cat needs a piss. It takes him hours to get round to it. Don't get side idea for dear Dave. <laughs> I I mean I like it. It is dark, but it is it's something conceivably that would happen in Red Dwarf. It's like well, D- I mean Doug gets idea for um, Entangled. <laughs> oh yeah, 
yeah. It's, a, it's sort of pushing her out of an airlock. Yeah, yeah. But but it's like it's a bit like um, yeah, it's a bit like the end of body swap. It's a bit like it's a bit sad. Not body swap. Time slides. Sorry. Yeah, no, it is. It is a bit. It's but really it's like sad. building up like a really strong sci-fi concept and then taking its legs out. Like it's yeah. that's very that's very dwarfy. Yeah, it is. To be fair. Yeah, maybe a bit extreme, but um, I I love this. This is like. Is one of one of my favourite kind of original comics so far. I think. Yeah, it is. It's re- and, and, and now you've kind of explained to it. I do. I kind of. I do have a, a better appreciation for it because it, it makes a lot more sense. But some of the best sci-fi stories are ones that you just like. Hang on a minute. What the fuck was that when you first read it? And yeah. not only you you don't just pass them up. You actually have impetus to like. I'm just going to read that again, and I'm just going to read that again, mm. and and then you get it. And like you know, stories that are good enough that they make you want to go back and understand them. Like that's what sci-fi should be doing. That's that's you know that's mm-hmm. a legit way of interacting with them. It's the ambition of it for me. Yeah, it's yeah. like this is the kind of story that can only be really told in this medium, or you know, yeah, yeah. maybe not only be told in this medium, but this medium is one of the best for it—the mixture of visual and text. Yeah, <laughs> like you couldn't do this on a TV budget. No, <laughs> it would be very difficult to get across. And in terms of storytelling, how far have we come from? the first original comics just being slice of life on board the ship yeah. which is you know nothing wrong with that that's you know that's the bulk of where red dwarf's humor comes from but to go from it's a, it's a normal day on the ship and uh, the scutters are having a mutiny to <laughs> lister gets absorbed into a matrix and creates a new life for <laughs> yeah, it's, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a normal day on the ship and you are a terrible goose <laughs> <laughs> who wrote this we haven't got a credit. <laughs> who wrote, who, who wrote this? Kelleher and Hill. Pat Kelleher and... Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill. <laughs> James Hill. <laughs> well, yeah, they do mention heuristic neural net AIs as well, and I'm like, wow, that's prescient. Like, that's very... Oh, yeah, very I mean, the idea... Thinking. The ideas have been around for, for yonks, yeah. It's great. Also, how cool is the idea of, like, of Lister and specifically Hattie's Holly getting pissed together and having having a conversation like yeah. that's the sort of stuff that hattie never you know never got the chance to really get a deep into like ever, a proper do good, i want yeah. that like i yeah. want lister and holly to have a game pool together and yeah just chatting about well. life yeah. yeah like it's just like listeners like, like you could you could have a whole episode where lister's a little bit down and holly finds a way to, to talk to him in a you know you can imagine it being a bottle episode can't physical you? yeah just like a physical mm, just yeah. a physical uh, manifesto like get him in an ar unit and just have a word with him and just, you know have this whole thing where they're just them two talking that's like really cool idea i'd love to see that i'd love to see where they're just getting absolutely wankered together as well that'd be fucking hilarious do you know what uh keller and hill's previous magazine credits have been uh, Ooh. all of androids oh really oh fucking hell and the amusing adventures of mr flibble Wow. No way. So it is a bit of a sea change. Just a bit. <laughs> this is wow. a bit like the game developer Naughty Dog, like going from fucking, what is it, Crash Bandicoot to The Last of Us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except Crash Bandicoot was good. Yeah, sorry, there's definitely another one that's a bit. Or like, uh, I don't know, Id going from Commander Keen to Doom. Like, like light, light to, to serious. <laughs> Wow, that's fucking. That's maybe it's all in the art. Maybe maybe like the artwork is key here. I don't know. Yeah, and the the style that they're going for, it's not cartoony. Yeah, it's, it's graphic novelly. 
<clears throat> you can tell we're real comics experts. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, like, like you say, the comments will be <laughs> where the actual analysis is. We have real comics experts, like multiples, so yeah. I mean, they should just do this. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> no, it's really difficult doing this. It's so oh, so yeah. difficult. Oh, Not anyone could just, you know, talk a load of Italy farm shite into a microphone. We can. Oh, I see what you mean. So, over the page. Mm, over the page. What a lovely picture of an 80s yuppie. <laughs> Isn't it a shame that he contracted bonitis shortly after this photo was taken? <laughs> It's like, geez, I mean, you couldn't get more. Like, And this is, like, he remained 80s yuppie well into the late 90s. Yeah, as I mean, this is, not, this is 92. He's already out of date. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah especially since 80s yuppies are not not even late 80s, are they? They're more mid-80s. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so funny. Oh, never change Paul Jackson, you wonderful man. <laughs> Love you, Paul. <laughs> like, he's just so entertaining as a as a person. Yeah. And terrifying yeah. and interesting, like all these all these things. Even in this format of being interviewed, it's clearly like it's an interview and it you know, not I'm not taking credit away from Joe Nazaro for this, but as he says so himself, he only asks a question and the whole of the first page is filled. Yeah. It's it's a stream of consciousness from Paul. Yeah. And you can tell that this whole <laughs> this whole first page was dictated in probably about a minute. Is <laughs> that's just how fast he talks and how quickly he gets through ideas and how much he explains. You're reading it exactly in his. I mean, he actually remembers um, the name of Lance Bland Newshound. He hadn't quite <laughs> yeah. forgotten the name of that at this point. But yeah, but good interviewers know know how to set someone off and just let them yeah. get on with it, you know. It didn't ha- it didn't have to work hard to, to prize information no. out of uh, Paul. We just pointed him in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah. I think, I think that's more Paul than... I'm not saying yeah. that Joe's not a bad interviewer. I'm just saying that Paul Jackson's a good interviewee. Yeah, is what yeah, I'm yeah. Is that he's, he's good at giving good answers. It's a bit like Mac McDonald, right, when you guys interviewed him. It like doesn't take much to set him off on some fucking brilliant... Like, yeah, rad. Like story I've um, never heard before. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of information in this is, is would I think this would have been really, you'd have not known about half of this stuff by this point. This was his interview from Red Dwarf A to Z six years earlier, basically. That's what I was yeah. thinking. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's all the same beats. And yeah, th- this would have been brand new information, surely. Yeah, this would have been really. All, all the stuff about happy families and the stuff that we take for granted as this is just stuff we know about. Yeah. It involves, it, like, he elaborates on and talks about his philosophy on the characters and mm-hmm. how the series was cast in the first place and what makes Red Dwarf work and what makes it continue to work and it's just it's just really lovely. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting what he said about like how he was really pushing that you need to cast a double um, you know, cast yeah. Rimmer and Lister as a double, and that to me sounds like yes, yes, yes. You want Chris Barry to be Rimmer, that's all well and good. But what I'm saying is Craig Charles is the perfect partner for him. Whereas when Rob and Doug might have been thinking, we're not casting Craig Charles as Lister. Do you know what I mean? Like you could almost yeah. see that conversation yeah. happening. It's like you could have had Alan Rickman and Alfred Molina. If, if you were casting individually yeah. and you were looking at just the best actor for this role, then you know Alan Rickman would have definitely been up there. <laughs> You'd have thought, and yeah. Fred Molina and everyone else. But yeah, they couldn't get those two to work together, or they couldn't find a suitable partner for either of those yeah. from the other yeah. characters' and that's pile. Vital, yeah, yeah. 
because otherwise you get Red Dwarf USA, right? Like individually, they're mm. all they're all okay at their characters. Some of them very good at their characters, but none of them gelled. The guy they had playing Crichton was really good. Yeah, he yeah. was all right. The mask was a bit weird, but do you know what? It's a bit late now, let's say, but like Fred Molina and Alan Rickman, like as a double act, I reckon, I reckon someone could make that work, couldn't they? <laughs> someone could have made that work. But it, again, though, what would have happened is that Alan Rickman would have not made Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you'd have, yeah, the butterfly effect if Alan Rickman had been cast in Red Dwarf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No Die Hard, no Harry Potter and all that shit. Yeah. Well, no, he um, would have. Like Harry Potter was yonks away, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's Red you know, Dwarf would have. If he hadn't have done Die Hard and hadn't become a film star, yeah, then would that's he have been true. in a position to be. Yeah, or would he ended up like Chris Barry, like with the potential? Like Chris Barry had the potential to be an Alan Rickman, I yeah. would say, or like you know, approaching an Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman's or a on the other hand, one, but. On the other hand, he does become a film star. He does get cast in Die Hard, like two a year, two years after Red Dwarf stars, yeah. and then Red Dwarf ends because he's already impressed the right people. Not there anymore. On balance, we are pleased that Craig Charles and Chris Barry were cast in Red Dwarf. <laughs> I would like to have seen Chris Barry do Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was good. He was good in Tomb Raider. He didn't have much to do, but like it was, de- it was decent. Do we think that Paul Jackson recently watched Terminator 2 before doing this? Yeah, he was. I think a lot, there's a lot of mention of Terminator 2 in this interview and the one with Robin Doug. So yeah. Terminator yeah. 2 was very much in everyone's um, radar. I think right? everyone had watched it and just said, how so the was, fuck did they do that? I mean, to be honest, I watch it now and wonder how yeah. the fuck did they do that? Well, there's Terminator 2. The two big films for me, Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is still immaculate. When it comes to effects, like literally, yeah. the, there is nothing I would change about it. Maybe if you look very closely, you can see some early CG dodgy bits, but I never have. No, it's like it, it's perfect. There are dinosaurs in that film. That, that that's the only explanation Ooh. for me. Um, <laughs> and Terminator Two, as as like you can point out the flaws, but like Terminator Two's CG is so stylized that it's perfect for the film. So yeah. even though you know that yeah. that technically could be better. It's like it doesn't matter. That's perfect. The way it, it melds with the analog on it yeah. and feels like a yeah. coherent whole. But there's, yeah. there's still that one shot in Terminator Two that blows my mind every time I see it, and I still like I kind of have to applaud the effects guys. And it's when the blade goes through the two doors in the lift and then pulls back yeah. into two um, yeah. like like arms and then pulls the lift apart. And that shot is absolutely flawless. Like, it is just incredible. Uh, like, aside from all the walking through the grates and all that stuff, it's like that shot in particular just blows my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so good. There's no wonder that Terminator 2 caught everyone's imagination and just thought, fuck, we need to up our game. Yeah. It, yeah. A film so good that you put up with Ed Furlong. I mean, Red Dwarf 6 definitely up their game. With regards to mm. CGI and morphing, well, video effects, specifically. video effects specifically morphing as well, working with um, the polymorph and all that stuff, and realizing they can do more with the, poly- which is probably why they brought yeah, it back mm. because you could see it changing rather mm. than just been a, a quick cut. 
it could mm-hmm. see it shift from mm-hmm. one thing to another, they could actually do that now. And it was like, oh, cool, we'll, we'll write an episode where we can use this technology to, to get this idea out. And Oh, yeah, it's a really good point. And then forget to do that when you bring Polymorph back for the third time, many, many years later, when the technology is a lot cheaper. I think you're mistaken, Ian. I think the Polymorph <laughs> never came back a third time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would agree. Like, a fucking unreality bubble or something. Series 6 is laced with... with stuff where they're just like we need to like we can we now can do this stuff you know computers are now powerful enough to allow us to do these kind of special effects series six a very american inspired series inspired by the american Mm. red dwarf and inspired by the american terminator 2 i mean like series six genuinely (laughs) has some of the best video effects i've ever seen in in red dwarf to be honest with you well, they had a mm-hmm. specific uh, subcontractor that specialised in it. Yeah, That's it. I forget what they're called now. SVC, I think. SVC. And Super Video Company. Company. Collections. <laughs> super Video Chaps. Oh, Super Video Chaps. Yes. <laughs> Schwarzenegger versus Cameron. Yes. <laughs> that was before Alien versus Predator. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I like about uh, this interview is they talk about uh, when he directed White Hole, and it's so in tune with the discussion we had about uh, about this during the um, the rediscovery of Series Four yeah. about the whole thing of everyone was working twice as hard that day, and people that hadn't been on set all series suddenly turned up just because Paul Jackson was there. They ask him about it, and Paul just pretty much says, "Yeah, yeah." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a lot busier that day. Yes, <laughs> I am that person. <laughs> he was playing yeah. playing it down yeah. a bit, like, well, you know, yeah, I can be a bit cranky and I sign the checks. Yeah, okay. I, lo- I just I, lo- I love the fact he's just like, yeah, he was a little busy, but that's the way it is when the boss comes in. I'm a cantankerous old bastard when I'm directing. <laughs> like, fair enough. Ed's much more easygoing than I am. I'm the guy who signs the checks. So he's a little yeah. busy, so yeah, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he throws in a good compliment for Ed, like you know, the camera script was immaculate. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's what made it easy was the fact that you know, you know, there's the, obviously there's a big discussion with the the Julia May thing later on. That's a similar idea, which is yeah. Had Ed by directed the episodes, but Julia May had to jump in. I think you know it's one of those things where Julia May would have had a much easier time. But they, they know, there, there is also some talk about Juliet wanting to work on her own and not needing anyone outside help mm. so yeah, there is really that also that is also a, a nugget but we'll, we'll get there we'll get there we'll get to that bit I don't know if I've misread this a bit, but there's a bit here when they're talking about happy families where, like, in the same paragraph, Red Dwarf is described as having a relatively low budget and a relatively high budget at the same time. <laughs> uh, now, where where is that? Where is that? So, okay, yeah. So, with his characters in place, Jackson's next challenge was to address the technical difficulties of producing. Although the producer knew he'd be working with a relatively small budget, and then... Um, in that series, we replaced Happy Families was unusual in British television because it all shot on film and had a very high budget. <laughs> but then I guess I guess we're we're comparing the, the average of... sitcom with the sci-fi sitcom. But yeah, I think it's the the fact that the, it was like a perfect storm of like yeah. needing a slightly more than average budget for a TV show like Red Dwarf, but having a slightly higher budget because of a show like Happy Families. Yeah. And it's like we yeah, had we true. we. Yeah, they met in the middle. Yeah, so like, like mm. the fact that the TV budget was still not 
you know, you, obviously it isn't going to be a film, so you're going to need a slightly yeah. higher budget because it's going to need a little bit more technical detail. However, could genuinely prove what it would cost and they had the money. That's what it says. That, I think so, that's the key quote because yeah. it mentions that we had, we had to justify spending that budget and that's why they got all the model shots done properly and then kept on adding more model shots year on year. And I think we've talked about before how TV budgets kind of work. It's like the money is there as long as you've spent it, yeah. you'll get it back the next time. Because yeah. you so can prove like, okay, that you've we've... used it well. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how that happened between 4 and 5 then, because like obviously 4 had this massive underspend, and then did Series 5 suffer as a result of that? No, because well. they spent it all on movies. <laughs> Well, that's what I mean, but they had to they had to spend it on something. But obviously, they they knew it didn't they knew it didn't go on on the actual program. So I don't know. How <laughs> well, yeah, that, I mean, I guess that gets into the politics. Creative like, accounting. Who, who knew yeah. what? Yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, but it is. It's a really good interview, and obviously, you know, if you haven't watched the documentaries and you don't know about the minutiae of Paul's influences, and it's really good. And like, so there's not real many questions. It's just, it's just Paul <laughs> waxing lyrical, which I'm more than happy yeah. to read about. Yep. <laughs> Again, one of those things where if you had a script book, a, a nice little box out with uh, Paul Jackson's input would be. You you, know, you would you would need like a com- a companion book to to fit in Paul's. <laughs> or like fold out. Yeah. <laughs> Broadsheet. Um, really interesting throwaway mention that I don't think I've ever heard directly referenced before is that Paul selling the property back to Grant and Naylor because we just knew that Grant Naylor Productions came into existence in four and then they owned Red Dwarf and we've never really. Got the nitty well for obvious reasons. Never really got the nitty gritty of that, but obviously Paul, you know, and PJP Productions owned Red Dwarf and sold it to them. They were both subsidiaries of Noel Gay Entertainment, right? At, interesting. At one stage, yeah. and then Grenada went independent of that, but retained on a board level. Charles Armitage was from the Noel Gay side, side. and stayed with it until yeah. he died. Yeah. But we don't know the nitty-gritty, and it's probably going to be many, many years before yeah. the nitty-gritty is yeah. out there. But just all. Yeah, this is just the first time I've seen the word sold used in, in reference yeah. to this transaction. Maybe. Uh, yeah, talking about Red Dwarf as a property. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool. Mm. Next. Judgment Day. Oh, Speaking of Terminator 2. Terminator 2, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's so, exactly why they call it this. Is cause yeah. <laughs> I only just realised that now. But yeah. So this is the long-awaited results of the Inquisitor competition from issue 5. Wasn't worth it. 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is episode 11. This is from issue 5. Six months have elapsed in real time. Whereas for us... Our dwarf cast on issue five was in September two thousand and two. Oh fuck it! Up. No, no, September two thousand and twenty-two, <laughs> 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 which is still a long time, despite the fact that I've just ruined that. <laughs> but yes, finally, some resolution as to the all-important question of who gets erased out of Dwayne Dibley, <laughs> Wilbur Flintstone, Judge Dredd, Kachansky, Vera Duckworth, and Norman Wisdom. <laughs> and it's it is what it is. The artwork is something else. It's hideous. Um, <laughs> it's who, weird. It's who, such a who did mix. <laughs> who did them? Did they ask people who to maybe this? do the pictures? Because there's no credits. It's not credited. Uh, I don't know. Because it's odd because Wilma Flintstone looks exactly like Wilma Flintstone. I mean, you can't really, it's just yeah, a, you can't really Yeah, it's a carbon copy. That's fine. 
Norman Wisdom is a really good caricature of Norman Wisdom. Yeah. It, it's like it's not grotesque. It's, it's it works. It's it's recognizable. Judge Dredd looks like Judge Dredd. The rest of them. I mean, Judge Dredd <laughs> looks like a comic book version of Judge Dredd, which is weird because Judge Dredd's a comic. But yeah, I was yeah, it's caricature, like exaggerated, yeah. stylized Judge Dredd. Dwayne Dibley. Is... Dwayne Dibley looks perfectly accurate apart from <laughs> the teeth being comically exaggerated like if you cover up the bottom half of that picture that's a perfectly serviceable picture yeah that Dibley. that famous um publicity shot but with comically large teeth right that's yeah. like the the one yeah. that was on the back of this yeah, comically five. large versions of already comically large teeth yeah yeah and then Vera <laughs> duckworth is just fucking <laughs> et I mean, it's the scene from et where he dresses up yeah. in a wig. <laughs> i mean are we not we're not going to talk about christy kachinsky having an enormous seven head is that, oh is that no a, fucking hell this is carrying on from like the great debate about whether she just had a weird beehive in in that USA <laughs> comic, or whether she had like an alien head, and like no, 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 this adds Turns fuel out. to the fire. This is correct. Yeah, this is yes. <laughs> this is like both timelines converged. Yeah. It's sniper's dream. <laughs> sniper's dream. Yeah. Oh God. It's an interesting choice yeah. to make. Kachansky is as unattractive as possible. I mean, like obviously, like <laughs> like with modern eyes, she looks like Pennywise from the new version of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. with that crazy yeah. smile, the massive forehead, and yeah, just bizarre choices. So what they've done is they've taken the forty wisest judgments, and then they've taken a straw poll based on those. Right? Is that what they've done? Yeah, looks like it. Or have they just and taken the think... 40th best ones and then given a prize and then actually done a general total of everything that came in? Like, I don't really know how they've worked that out. Yeah, it's unclear, although, realistically, how many more than 40 will they have received? <laughs> like, we don't well, know. Well, it was I mean, five months, so I don't even know if they got 40 by that point. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, or they fudged it. Maybe, yeah. maybe this is why it's so late, is that they didn't really get a response. <laughs> they were waiting for <laughs> yeah. the 40th one. <laughs> And then That's eventually true. they're just like, fuck it, we're getting questions asked, let's fudge the bastard. I feel like there must have been a um, cultural re-evaluation of Norman Wisdom at some point, because he gets spared by the narrowest of narrow margins, and the editorial around it is all like, oh, this was a close one, but against all the odds he managed to survive. Yeah. I fucking love Norman Wisdom. Everyone loves Norman Wisdom. What are you talking about? Norman Wisdom was brilliant. Yeah, he's just... It's it's this but postmodern. It must have been at this stage of uh, an entertainer's career where his naff and his like his yester his yesterday's news, yeah. and then yeah. later on when they get older and and or dead, yeah, they people appreciate yeah. them for what they were. Yeah, when when comedians get old and dead, but they and there hasn't been like yeah. something terrible coming out about them, you're like, all oh, right, great, you can <laughs> you can enjoy because like, but right now we're in the postmodern like early nineties alternative comedy. Everyone that was a comedian yeah, yeah. before the seventies or it's early seventies yeah. is just getting chucked out, and that's a, that was a necessary process. It's just that things balanced out a bit after that. Yeah, normal wisdom. It's yeah, chucking the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, it is a bit, but sometimes. Sometimes the baby fucking deserves it, and like, or sometimes the baby's just collateral damage, and you've just gotta, just gotta accept it, just for the, for, for the sake of progress. You know, you can't move forward without fucking the baby off out the window. So, <laughs> can't recommend enough One Hit Wonderland by yes. Tony Hawks, in which he travels to Albania with Norman Wisdom oh, and yeah. and Chesney Hawks <laughs> to release a single. Because <laughs> do you remember? Capsy might remember this. 
Norman Wisdom. I mean, there's two things that put Norman Wisdom on the map for me as a teenager getting into the history of comedy. One was when he appeared on... Well, he didn't appear. Someone pretending to be Norman Wisdom appeared on This Morning with Richard Not Judy. Yep. As Norman Wisdom on acid. Taking the piss out of a reviewer saying that Lee Evans is like Norman Wisdom on acid. <laughs> saying, we, we gave Norman Wisdom some acid and filmed him. <laughs> <laughs> it was nothing like Lee Evans. That old, confused... Yeah, scared. Scared. (laughs) And the other thing was, England played Albania in a European qualifier or a World Cup qualifier away in Albania, and it emerged sort of first time it had been brought to the world's to England's attention that Norman Wisdom is insanely popular in Albania, and it's because during the, the Soviet era, Norman Wisdom was one of the very few Western things that people were allowed to, to watch, and being a fan of Norman Wisdom, being a fan of the Westerner, was like an ultimate sort of act of rebellion against the system. And so Norman Wisdom, at <laughs> this stage, like a man in his 80s probably, yeah. he came over to the away game to Albania and was introduced to the crowd before the game and they went fucking wild. It was amazing. Oh, that's so good. And he's coming out to the pitch and it's a standing ovation all around the stadium and he's walking around and he does a comedy pratfall and pretends to have, like, pure Willy Wonka <laughs> yeah. comedy pratfall pretending to have hurt himself. Yeah, it's brilliant. And link in the show notes if there's a video of it. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the, the it was whoever the you know like elected or like the elected leader of Albania was like fucking loved him so just let him through the like he, yeah. he was a fan so let him <laughs> through the the western filter yeah yeah um, Vera Duckworth does not deserve to be erased no this feature <laughs> yeah I'd rather just have left it ambiguous to be fair but yeah never mind. Just tell us who won the T-shirts and went, yeah, these were opinions and they happened and fine. Apparently one of the people that won a T-shirt was Glenn Miller. <laughs> the last thing we need. <laughs> um, meanwhile, if you remember back in September 2022, we launched our own version of this competition. Oh, God, yeah, see we did this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, God. We invited... Uh, listeners slash readers to submit their own judgments of these six people <laughs> so that they could play along and obviously the winner was Dave who did a whole comic <laughs> strip uh, oh, depicting yeah. a battle between <clears throat> Judge Dredd and the Inquisitor link in the show notes uh, Dave wins the competition partly because that was brilliant and mostly because no one else entered <laughs> <laughs> I think he got in really early with his comic and everyone just went well, oh, I'm not fucking yeah. competing with that yeah. <laughs> I mean do we want to go over the, the reasons the reasonings why people have actually said why people should die because they are just I'd, I'd love to but I didn't read it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, 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 one of the reasons like... Dwayne... So Dwayne Dibley was basically the reason... One of the main reasons was the fact that he didn't really exist anyway. Like, that's actually one of the reasons he was erased, is because technically it was easy <laughs> oh, to Oh, we're do. getting meta there. Yeah, yeah. It's not a terrible, not a terrible uh, thing, but someone said that he needs to, in spite of himself, Dwayne Dibley has led a worthwhile life because of his devotion to charities and the Salvation Army. So he's been keeping jumble sales... Uh, alive by buying clothes from them, basically. So that's that was one reason to keep him, and obviously he makes other people look better <laughs> by comparison. <laughs> therefore, he makes people feel good about themselves because he looks like, I always say, he hair looks like he's a monk or was cut by my sister, and that's saying something. 
Lol. That's saying something. Lol. A lot of the Kachansky ones, like Kachansky gets voted to be erased, and it seems to be on the basis that she dumped Lister or didn't give Lister a chance, depending on which version of the canon you're on. Yeah. And it's all very misogynist, yeah. basically. <laughs> Despite the fact that most of the people that's, that have those comments are women who fancy Lister. It's just standard misogyny. Same with Vera Duckworth, and it's all classist with Vera Duckworth as well. I'm probably taking it more seriously than it deserves, but it's just a depressing snapshot of yeah. 90s sensibilities, really. No. Oh, well. Moving on. Rimmer's Angels. <laughs> I thought this was a really interesting piece. Yeah. I liked the fact that it was basically calling Rimmer out yes. for a lot of his shit in a way that is quite ahead of its time, really. Mm. And we have we do talk about the, the 90s sensibilities and the sexism thereof, but for this to not shy away from Rimmer's objectification of women is quite a bold thing at this stage, I think. Yeah. Mm. You're working off the evidence presented to you, and what else are you going to come to other than, you know... Yeah. I mean, Parallel Universe is, like, the biggest proponent of this. I was just surprised that it wasn't sort of dismissed in a, Ooh, boys will be boys type way like it didn't take Rimmer's side and it put called out, called him out for trying to pick up girls by hypnosis and the fact that he took advantage of a concussed woman and all the rest of it yeah. it would have been the easier thing to do is to to sympathize with Rimmer yeah on those things but they took on his flaws in that way yeah I guess it helps that the show has already kind of done that as well. So, like, they're mm. kind of expanding on that. I do also like the style of this. Is it's it's kind of written in the same style as the history of the mechanoid last issue mm. or the issue before, where it's yeah. it's all <clears throat> canon information repurposed and re kind of presented in a in an 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 Someone in uh, in the comments on the last issue described that style for the Androids one as like a proto-TOS article. And that's definitely the case here as well because yeah. there were so many TOS articles that it was like, let's take one aspect of Red Dwarf and explore it in depth. And in this case, it's just one character and only five series worth of that character as well, remember, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, they've, that they've got a good four pages out of. And yeah, rather than going down the route of more... Of, you know, like the Androids one was explain the history of a sci-fi concept. It's more character-based and it's more about the lore of the characters rather than the lore of the universe. Yeah. So yeah, it is good. It is very good. I'm on board. I like it a lot. And it's one of those things, isn't it? It's, you know, it's not mind-blowing. It's not you don't read it and think this is amazing content, but it's good content. Yeah. And it's and it's an interesting, pleasant read. And it's the exact type of thing that a tie-in magazine should be doing of like taking one aspect of the show and exploring it in depth 100% oh, sure. so there's not really that much to say on it as a result mm. it's just fine <laughs> good choice of pictures like uh, I'm pretty sure that one of Craig and Koo Stark I'm not sure if I've seen that one well I haven't seen it often if you see what yeah, I mean you don't like, tend anyway. to see, yeah you don't tend to see yeah. them often but then obviously like the pictures of Rimmer's mother and that were just taken from a, from a screenshot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. A good old Elita fell with a screenshot machine. <laughs> or taking photos of a telly with the looks of it. Yeah. Photocopying a monitor. <laughs> 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 
but yeah, it's uh, it's it's good. And like I say, yeah, he does. You know, especially calls out the uh, the thing with Yvonne Magruder, which is um, really questionable. Yeah, <laughs> one that yeah that we as a fandom gloss over. Really, yeah. <laughs> let's not try and think about that too much. Yeah. Or well, on the other hand, you could go with the last human interpretation was that you know she it was consensual <laughs> and she did like Rimmer and wanted to be with Rimmer. It's just that the circumstances were less than ideal. Yeah. yeah. Or you could interpret it as li- we only hear from Lister's point of view. Oh, she was concussed. She thought you were called Norman and all that. Yeah. It might be Lister exaggerating to take the piss out of him. That's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's say it's that. Yeah. Let, let's, let's, yeah. For the sake of saving a soul, let's say that. <laughs> um, okay, so this next article they uh, read any good books lately special on Infinity Welcomes Ooh. and Better Than Life oh sorry Infinity Welcomes Careful Readers is a lovely breakdown of all the books but it's presented in such a confusing fucking manner <laughs> yeah. I had to sort of like go through it three times to kind of read yeah. it in a good order yeah. because there's loads of breakout I mean there's nothing wrong with breakout boxes but breakout boxes amongst a lots of other text is really, mm. really disorientating. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I don't think reading it as a PDF makes it any easier. No, certainly not. <laughs> because <laughs> like not. when you've got, you know, each one, it, it's two double pages See that? Yeah, for me with a physical that, actually, mag. Does actually make a lot more sense. But the second one in particular is cluttered as fuck. They had a lot to fit yeah. in, and I'm glad they fitted it they did in as much as they did I just feel like they could have just done it as like they could have just broken it down into infinity mm. better than life or companion they could have done, I, I guess it's more interesting visually like this way listen how are you going to justify dropping thousands of pounds on your desktop publishing software if you're not going <laughs> to you know mess about with the layout that's true <laughs> have a wonky companion <laughs> yeah my wonky companion is my business <laughs> and here's Joe Nazaro yet again doing good yes. work yeah, the the main article of this is essentially a Dwarfcast book club in the space of about 500 words. Yes. A much more efficient way of summarising the uh, events. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't take him two years to do. <laughs> a quick guide to what's in the novels. Because, yeah, at this stage as well, like you've seen Red Dwarf on telly, you like it, you maybe picked up a video or two, you see a magazine, and you think, oh, pound I'll buy that. And, yeah, it... it you might not know what the books... You might have dismissed the books as just being novelizations, Like it says, like mm. the majority of TV titans are just plain old boring novelizations. This spells out to you why the books are so good. Yeah. Uh, we'll take issue with... I knew you would. <laughs> he says a, a good example of a knockoff cheap adaptation of TV is the Doctor Who novelizations, which are some of the most beloved <laughs> and well-respected novelizations in history. Like, they're not... At this, he's talking about the Target novelizations, yeah. which are different from the Virgin New Adventures, etc., which were starting around this. So time. Terence, Terence but, Sticks, basically, like the, one of the most beloved people in any family. Yeah. <laughs> the hundreds of uh, Target novelizations, which were just adaptations of the TV series, sure, they weren't telling new stories like the Red Dwarf ones do, or they weren't, you know, rejigging bits of episodes. But they were, notoriously, there were so many examples of times where they expanded upon what was seen on screen or did things that you couldn't realise on screen with those budgets. Also, lost episodes. Yeah. How else are you going to, you know, 
good example here, but maybe at the time, like Tomb of the Cybermen was half lost, wasn't it? And not only that, until the early nineties, even if episodes weren't lost, not everyone had yeah VCRs yeah. as we as we said. So the only way to experience a Doctor Who episode that wasn't on BBC One that Saturday was to read the Target novelization. You couldn't go and get the video. You couldn't go and get the DVD. It feels like only someone who isn't really a Doctor Who fan would have that opinion yeah. about the novel. I can't imagine any Doctor Who fan dismissing them, I guess. It's not like yeah. he's shit-talking them, but he's just like, oh, they're just novelizations. whereas Doctor Who fans would be like, no. Those were gold <laughs> yeah. fans who wanted to, he wanted to know what was this mysterious thing with the, the talking ants. And reading the novelizations of stories that were a bit shit and assuming that the TV version would have been amazing because the, yeah. the book is amazing. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the meat. But this feature is backed up by all these box outs and it's basically three reviews of Red Dwarf related books that are out yeah. and a little mini interview. Yeah, I was going to say the companion box out is much from you know it's fine it's just a just a little review but like yeah the little mini interview obviously this is kind of like oh the omnibus is coming out let's Mm. push that as well or like oh you know we've we've got this little snippet from an interview with doug about the omnibus what can we really do with it and it's like oh chuck it chuck it in this feature and like group everything together there are a couple Uh, of interesting little nuggets of information (laughs) within the interview such as there is we're going to go for red dwarf complete or red dwarf omnibus and the only reason they went with omnibus is because it looked better with using the o the logo (laughs) that's why it just looked better on the page also complete is a stupid name um when you um when you're intending to write a third novel or you contract sorry you contracted to write two more novels (laughs) which is what the case would have been because that's why they had to write one each um no 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 dogs where they're planning to write one in 1993 after they finish series six oh well of course Uh, the last human (laughs) right after learn portuguese (laughs) (laughs) right after make the temper centers without splitting up (laughs) Do you think this gives away too much? Or is it the fact that most people would know about the books by now? But even then, if you haven't, um, would you want to know as much as you do? Mm, I feel like it gives away yeah. a lot of... Because if it's not selling it to new, to readers that haven't given it a go, then what is it doing? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a mix. Because the, the review of the omnibus kind of assumes that you're familiar with the two novels. Because yeah. it talks about, oh, they've, they've made a few changes and made a few tweaks, and then it focuses on all the new stuff but yeah the bulk of it is written as if it's for new readers but it does give away kind of beat by beat what the (laughs) the synopsis yeah yeah i don't know um though leaves out bits like oh we're not going to give away the ending or we're not going to say exactly how this happens (laughs) but we're not going to give the end it would be criminal to give away the ending but we'll we'll give away all the information in between the beginning of the end yeah <laughs> we we want to make sure that you enjoy the last 20 pages on no. I mean you could have just said you know the full story behind the death of the ship's original hologram who we met in the first TV series is revealed and yeah, that would have been enough yeah, to yeah. just not explain what the that's hell that's a happened. tease and then yeah. you just go on to actually explain everything because like, that's a big, it. that's a big, like early, like whoa, like you know, the the book's yeah. doing something different. It's yeah. quite dark, yeah. you know. You know how they're gonna go with this, you know. Yeah. Um, obviously, the joy comes from the actual prose and the yeah. way it's told, but still, there's some stuff you don't want to, you you don't want to give everything away. Another interesting and commendable choice for an official publication is that the review of the omnibus 
which, as we said, this entire feature is kind of there to promote mm. the new omnibus. It says it's seven ninety nine for one paperback. It looks a bit expensive compared to other novels <laughs> on the shelves. It's like <laughs> the new material is interesting, but for most people, it's not quite seven pound ninety nine unmissable. Yeah, <laughs> an unmissable has three S's, by the way. Oh yeah, <laughs> unmissable. <laughs> Trust in me. <laughs> um, but again, yeah, saying that if you don't have it, then it is worth getting because it's a, a succinct version of getting both yeah. together. So you yeah. know, if you don't have it, it's it, good it's, but it's it's, it's commendably more honest than you'd expect an official publication. Like I wouldn't. Again, Ian mentions Doctor Who, <laughs> but Doctor Who magazine wouldn't be this honest about a new Doctor Who release if the reviewer didn't like it. They have to very much disguise their opinions if they're negative, and like years later, they can post retrospectives of things that are critical. But for any new product that you know you're trying to sell, yeah, yeah, it's commendably honest. I mean, yeah, it's, the same sure. can be said for the omnibuses. Could be said for like just the shows. It's like, well, you know, just the shows mm. is never like it's like the omnibus wasn't built for people who want the books if they've already got the books it wasn't built for those people it was just built because it was like penguin decided to make this it's not like as if yeah. you know it's 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 very much a two hands yeah. whole. so let's just put them together and it's like okay fair enough we'll do that this is clearly like let's put the omnibus out because you're a little bit behind on the third book lads <laughs> yeah that's true um, so Quick, let's release another live album. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like to oh, run out, of, run out of contract. Yeah, like a band putting out a shit album just to get out of a contract. But it's not shit. But like, yeah. Also, like, if only I'd read this early on in my life. If 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 only <laughs> someone had mentioned that the beer mat is not real. <laughs> I could have been an officer by now. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't hundred percent spell it out here. There's still some <laughs> comedic ambiguity. Yeah, there. yeah. Doug says we'll leave that. We'll leave people to believe that. Yeah, thanks, Doug. <laughs> Whereas, uh, well, it does seem that Jane Killick uh, does believe it because she 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 yeah. mentions it like straight unless she's allegedly first. Yeah. It's the fact that Doug says also in there is what claims to be the original beer mat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you you claim that. <laughs> the beer mat didn't just wander up and say like, you know, photocopy me quick. Scared Excuse me. me. <laughs> Do you remember nah, nah, me? Down here. <laughs> um but no, uh fair fair dues for like sticking in some extra features basically. I don't know enough about books <laughs> to to know whether how common this sort of thing would have been at the time to like to pad out stuff i think it would have been perfectly commonplace for an omnibus edition of a series of novels to be probably like i've got like three or four different complete hitchhikers that are from various stages trilogy of, of four trilogy of five you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> with no extra stuff in it i think penguin would have been you know no one would have blinked an eyelid at penguin just bunging together yeah. a Two two novels in one release, yeah. and it was Robin Doug that decided to do extra stuff to make it worthwhile for the fans to buy, which is commendable. But on the other hand, if there was no extra material in there whatsoever, then no one would have felt compelled to buy it, and so it would have been cheaper <laughs> in the long run. Yeah, that's true. Although it's kind of, it's a, it's a, there's a fine line. Okay, so the year is twenty twenty four. All four books, yeah, are collected into one thing. And Penguin release it, and there's nothing extra. All three of us are buying it. Yes. Yeah. That's not the point. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe at the time there wasn't quite the 
the collectathon type of fan mm. because there wasn't enough to to do that with really. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I you know I certainly enjoyed adding Omnibus to my collection when I was trolling um, eBay. But I never got it in the nineties, um, so like you know, add that to the collection. You know, Omnibus was my first Red Dwarf book of any description. So, there you so go. I had the I had the, I had the double before I had the individual one. It's worth it just for that. I think that it might have been mine as well. And obviously, I went and bought paperback and hardback copies of Red Dwarf of uh, Infinity and Better Than Life and various foreign versions of Infinity as well, including the American Book Club one. Yeah. I had the I had Red Dwarf slash Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers and I can't remember how it came into my position whether like my grandma or my mum just saw it in the shop and said, Oh I'll get I'll get that film but like I I do remember having set various boarded attempts to read it because I think I would have probably got it when it came out around the time it came out or like a couple of years after and I was just a bit like I just wasn't good enough at reading like I wasn't at the mm. you know like taking it in so it took me a few years to like actually get it read but I did have the indiv- the individual one I do remember that and like and I wanted it I like I own this I own better than life but I haven't read them yet <laughs> well like Jane says this is eight quid if you see that on a shelf next to Infinity is five quid, better than life is five quid, or you can get both for eight quid. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to get the one that's eight quid. Yeah. Or oh, you see them on it's a well, display well worth it. next to VHSs yeah. that cost 16 quid each and they're an hour and a half of content each. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it is a cheap way of getting some lovely Red Dwarf content. Mm. Oh, and Jane says that I've been told the writers have taken an opportunity to make a few changes to the original version, but after much scanning through the pages, I couldn't find any of them. What you want to do, Jane, is wait for 20 odd years. And read Flapjack's article. Yeah. <laughs> Link in the show notes for a full comprehensive breakdown of every difference between the paperback, the hardback, the omnibus, and the audiobooks and the radio show. She could have asked Robin Doug as well, though, also. Like, or she could have used the teleporter. <laughs> well, I mean, you say they could have asked Robin Doug, but they were doing the audiobook, and when they were calling problems, they didn't ask Robin Doug then either. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Anyone um, read Reconstructed Heart or watched it? I've watched it and written about it for GNTV. Oh, fuck, it's already been on it was one. Of, it was one of the first GNTVs. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you whether there's been a GNTV. Okay. There's been a lot of them. I've not got the book. I've not read the book. You can see where like, Woman Wizard is definitely the sequel to it, isn't it? Like, yeah. In a way that Some I haven't really realised. Some of the same realized. material, I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, like you know, it's the mid-90s and Robert Llewellyn's doing like accessible feminist stuff. Fair play to him. Yeah, the the show was very interesting because, like, obviously that would have been that would have been nineteen ninety one maybe mm-hmm. when he did the live show because it's like a forty minute lecture on Channel Four. Yeah, because in well, what in eighty eight he was doing Mammon. Yeah, and then he was in Red Dwarf, so maybe, maybe he had like maybe nineteen ninety because I'd say go on then. It was September nineteen ninety two. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Specific date, hour, minute. So he'd Couldn't come. Find. He'd come back from America then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To do this, and he it wasn't an Edinburgh show then. It was definitely a live show that he toured. Yeah, right. Okay. Because I've I've seen flyers for it in Better Than Life oh, okay. issues at the time. It was a live show. I don't know if it was Edinburgh specifically, but it was a live show that he did. And okay. the TV show is just a filmed live show, essentially. Right. Got you. Got you. I should watch it. Link in the show notes. It's weird. I can see a lot of Dave Gorman being influenced by a lot by this kind of stuff as well. Like kind of mm-hmm. 
like di- you know displaying data as you know comedy. Yeah, for sure, and well, Tony Hawk's as well, right? Yeah, um, Tony Hawk's really feels like Dave Gorman's like predecessor in 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 a lot of this. He didn't do live shows, but like his concepts, crazy concept of a you know doing something an adventure based an adventure yeah yeah and it's just they hadn't invented google so he's like well okay i'll play the moldovans at tennis (laughs) all of them fucking all of the cunts they can't how many can there be like five (laughs) 40 (laughs) right next holograms holograms always the highlight so you like the word smeg, do you? Yeah, so obviously there's a bone of contentions regarding very slight discrepancies between the naming of something. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of people are getting annoyed by the, the fact that it's a magazine, not a magazine. Yeah, it's very meta, isn't it, this? But it never but... fucking... It didn't. It wasn't always called Red Dwarf's Magazine, idiots. It's, oh, it's... Drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am intrigued by the mention of that the magazine got a panning in Starbucks yes, when they too. reviewed the first issue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That must be out there. If I can find it, link in the show notes. Surely there's like a full like archive of Starbird. Like, fair play, like putting that letter in, and like, and and actually, I mean, it, it's slightly spiky response, but that they are actually quite understanding about the bad review as well. So it's, it's you know, handled. Yeah, handled they say. Well. Yeah, to be fair, our first issue was a bit rough around the edges. And yeah, but if they yeah. still don't like it, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably fair enough, you know. Shouldn't read reviews of your own stuff. Or publish letters saying, I, I liked this, but the artwork was rubbish in the Dwayne Dibley story. <laughs> Which, apart from anything else, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. one of the best ones. Yeah. They didn't sort of say, oh, you know, you're wrong, but they just kind of opened it up to the readers to say, what do you think about our artwork? What do you think? It's like, they're, tr- they're trying to give you something a bit different. That's They always kind of, like, justify their choices. Yeah. which is the right way to work. It's not like, oh, we did it on purpose. Like, we are trying. <laughs> Learning on the job. Yeah. yeah, and this is definitely one of those things where we've learned, they've learned a lot of lessons as they, you know, it's good. And then obviously, yeah, someone actually decided to actually, like, bollock them about <laughs> who won the actual competition back in issue two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, like, fine. <laughs> and then, yeah, obviously someone call themselves Dwayne Dibley which is a really two fucking people. stupid thing to do because you're never going to actually although there's a guy called Neil Guy which I thought was quite funny <laughs> <laughs> Ian Mann yeah, yeah. I was in Neil Guy television oh right <laughs> um, I didn't get that yeah I mean you're calling like, putting yourself like Sharon Dibley thingy that's fine but like just calling yourself Dwayne Dibley as a fucking I won a competition ages ago. It's like, but I didn't put my real name in, so you can't tell if it's me or not. Well <laughs> yeah, done, you point. idiot. We also have a little, little tiny, tiny next time feature, yeah. but we'll come back to that at the end. Ah, okay. It's pretty cool. But in the meantime, we do have our own letters, due to oh, be yeah. sent in by our beautiful listeners slash readers. Um, <clears throat> as always, there's way more discussion than we've got time to dive into here, but... You can read everything that everyone had to say over at www.ganymede.tv. Highlights of which include... Uh, Pody says, I could never read Carl Flint's artwork in this magazine when I was a kid. Uh, Carl Flint being the uh, Jake Bullet guy right. yeah, most yeah. recently. 
Um, my brain just wouldn't accept it, like trying to interpret a foreign language through the hazy static of a broken TV set. Ah. Whenever I did get a foothold, I'd get too distracted wondering about stuff like why Lister has an inflated head to become <laughs> invested in the story. Yeah. <laughs> That's my Android's experience. Yeah. Yeah. I did like his brutalist take on Crichton and Jake Bullet, all squares and rectangles, and bizarrely, he was also drawing in a completely different style for Sonic the Comic at the time. Uh, on the subject of the Jake Bullet strip, Dave says, Jake Bullet strip has an over-the-top, almost comedically gritty urban vibe that makes me wonder whether it might have been influenced by Frank Miller's Sin City, which was big in comics at the time. The first Sin City story started coming out in 91 and finished in mid-92, and like this story, it was serialised in short instalments in Dark Horse Presents, so it might have been fresh in their minds when they made this strip. Yeah. It also feels a bit Robocop, which I guess fits for Jake. And yeah, it's also yeah. quite noir as Sin City, isn't it? Because it's all kind of red yeah. and black and white. So it's all it's, very this is quite literally noir, yeah. 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 The film um, is really interesting. Um, it's I wouldn't say it's a good film, but it's definitely an experience. Okay. Um, yeah. Isn't it entirely green screened and all the it's like has comic art as the background? Does, yeah, like yeah. Real people Hyper stylized blood as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And Elijah Wood's in it. He's always good. Um, Clem, also on Jake Bullock strip, he says, although very short, it's easily my favourite of the strips in this issue. The unusual art style really suits this kind of dystopian, hard boiled fiction pastiche. Yeah. I like the circuit board buildings and other less subtle examples of Carl Flint doing that kind of thing in previous issues. A bit like Neil Buchanan doing a big art attack, only uh, small. <laughs> uh, Warbadog takes on a couple of the less popular features so far. Like the similarly unpopular and problematic Mr. Flibble strip before it, I always found Red Dwarf USA a hoot in its ridiculous excess. Disrespectfully juxtaposing it with the Linwood Boomer interview is the icing on the cake. It's hard to believe it was allowed, but they've got to fill the pages. By contrast, I find androids a complete waste of space, but I like the suggestion that as a non-electronic life form, it's just not aimed at me. <laughs> the relentlessness of the joke might ultimately be worth it, but they would have to keep it up for the entirety of the run. We will see. No spoilers. On the subject of the Red Dwarf USA strip, and something that we've already touched upon in this issue, Milo Scat and Flapjack have both pointed out that Lister's wife in the USA comic strip is supposed to be Holly, not Kachansky. Which we all completely missed, despite the dialogue saying Holly. Yeah, <laughs> instead of we were so distracted by the hair head. <laughs> but as uh, Flapjack says, it doesn't explain why it was nothing like Holly either. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Because if it was, we would have got it. And finally, uh, Flapjack also says the last temptation of Crichton discussion reminds me of the dwarf cast commentary for the Inquisitor. Seb was singing The Last Temptation of Crichton's Praises, but realised in real time that the premise made no sense. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> so yes, do keep your comments coming in. Let us know what you think of this issue, or indeed the Dwarfcast about this issue, over at www.ganymede.tv, and we might read your thing out in next issue. Or we might not. <laughs> next, The Inquisitor. Yeah, you know, like how you you get the impression that a certain generation was like permanently traumatized and scarred by um, Richard Nixon, and you just got so <laughs> much Nixon stuff in popular culture from like boomer writers. Robert Maxwell is Boomerang. definitely like the Gen X equivalent. 
Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I mean, like, the joke might have been immediately obvious to anyone reading this. I know, I didn't yeah. twig. I didn't twig. No. I, uh, like, I got the reveal. I was like, oh, fuck, of course, because I don't know what his real name is. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm assuming. I don't know whether anyone yeah. actually knew that, but, you know, it, it's a, if you don't know, it's actually quite a good twist, actually, yeah, if, you don't, if yeah, you don't understand the joke. I always thought about the, the Inquisitor as, as an idea doesn't really work either, because it's like no. you're assuming that everyone you replace with is a, is a superior version. But are you oh, forever going back and checking? Yeah, it's like painting the fourth bridge. You know, oh, I got rid of this man, and now I've uh, I've let a man called Adolf Hitler in, and he's. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what you're maybe meant to think, if you don't yeah. know the, the name, like yeah. you know. <laughs> but I just like the fact that instead of erasing him from history, he just kills him. <laughs> just pushes him over. Yeah, yeah. Oh fuck! Uh, there's a whole thing about the guy. new statesman about Maxwell as well, isn't there? There's a whole thing about like <clears throat> Maxwell faked his death, but then actually Olympus Star pushes him off a, a yacht anyway in a later episode <laughs> or something like that's just like yeah. <laughs> spoilers. Well, at least at least with his death, then the tyranny of the Maxwell family was ended. Oh wait! <laughs> oh wait! <laughs> is it? Yeah. Is it the Inquisitor's fault? <laughs> yes. Jizz Lane exists. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he obviously hadn't got round to her. Well, he had because the boat was called Jillane. Oh yeah, that's true. The boat <laughs> that he was found on was called Lady Jillane. Yeah. So, yeah. Make of that what you will. So yeah, if, if anyone didn't know, Robert Maxwell was the father of Jillane Maxwell, the uh, convicted sex offender. <clears throat> yeah, and he himself was not convicted because he he uh, he, <laughs> he killed himself to avoid. Well. Being convicted, much like Jelaine Maxwell's partner didn't. I have to, I have to, uh, I have to think that it was never stated that he actually killed himself, but he was found dead in the water. Alone. Yeah, he went missing in the yeah, water. Apparently, yeah. he used to piss off the edge of his boat a lot, so it could have just been an accident from his fat ass hanging over the fucking. Yeah. But he he stole pension. That whole mirror thing. pension. That whole mirror pension thing. <laughs> the money was just resting in my account. I mean, yeah. I mean, it turned out after he died that like he'd stole a hundred million pounds, and yeah. company went bust pretty quick after that. So yeah, fuck him. Yeah, I mean, it was the I mean, they, these people were working for the Mirror, so mm, I don't know. I do like in this to be strip precise, the sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, the visual representation of the judgment process is like it does what the TV kind of does of of take them out of real life into this metaphysical realm yeah. but on the TV it's just a throne and a, a dark room with curtains and candles whereas in this it's like a whole dungeon thing yeah. and the Inquisitor's giant and is holding the guy on the palm of his hand while he's judging him yeah. and stuff like that you've got yes. mountains of skulls and you've and, got a dog yeah. someone is going to have to explain the dog because I don't understand the dog <laughs> Not me. Dave, can you explain what the dog is, please? Dave, <laughs> Cody, anyone with a working knowledge of comics. There's, there's obviously some reference there. Yeah, it's got to be a reference to something. It's almost like as if he's the angel of death, you know what I mean? It's like, as yeah, if it's, like it's cool. you know what I mean? Like a, a mountain of skulls on a castle of pain. Two dead Frenchmen crossed across a pile of dead Frenchmen, <laughs> motif. Um... Yeah, yeah, good visuals are kind of like the cool. Idea. Skulls were just out of shot when. Uh, yeah, know. like that would have been there if he just moved the camera a touch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the skulls are in his bloody mask for Christ's sake. Artist is uh, Nigel Kitching, <coughs> my fave of this magazine. Artist yeah, as well. Yeah, it's really good. 
It's a, again, it's funny. It's just it's it's, it's a very very dated reference, but you know, not <laughs> when not when this was yeah, made. Yeah. This was very, very relevant. Yeah. yeah, I like how he starts off on a little like humble fishing boat as well, and it's all yeah. yeah. I never actually noticed that. Actually, that's a really good. That's a really good touch. I didn't realize that the, the, the initial thing is of the little boat, and then, well, clearly this person did a much better job than you did. It's like, <laughs> yeah, and then you find out who he is and why and how With he the money got the fucking stole. boat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, the meat, meaty bits. It's oh, pretty. The massive, massive pile of meat. <laughs> oh my god. Series five, granted, Naylor, look back. This magazine is very candid. <laughs> with their feedback, yeah. <laughs> which uh, I some some may was... say cunty. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean to the point where you know, <laughs> would seem rude, actually, yeah. <laughs> and incorrect at times. Yeah, yeah. it's really interesting because this is Joe Nazaro, who Grant and Naylor evidently liked, yeah. and respected his opinions because he remained on this magazine. Oh, shit spoilers but you know he was he was an established magazine writer he went on to do the making of book for series six so he was someone that they were you know not adverse to having around and they seem to be like to be fair to him they actively ask him his opinions on things later on like it feels more like a a a conversation than an interview you're right and it's just like let's let's go through and chat about all of these episodes one by one it's just that he does not hold back when he's asked his opinion. Yeah. He says, yeah, well, I didn't really think that ending really worked. It wasn't really punchy enough for me. If they're asking for an opinion, they, and they're not expecting it to be sycophantic. It's like, why would yeah. they ask if they didn't yeah. want to know? Yeah, it, it reflects well on Robin Duck, definitely. Very down-to-earth kind of attitude to things. Because it's so close to, you know, release that they're already doing a post-mortem on it, you know? Mm, yeah, 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 picking the bones of it so soon afterwards. Yeah. This for me is information I didn't know. Like this is this has got stuff in it that I don't think I ever was parry to. The stuff with Julia May, obviously, like the, a lot uh, of it is kind of you know mentioned in the uh, series five documentary, but like the more specific reasons yeah. as to why Julia might well, have been a good fit was in there. Uh, it's really interesting the difference between what they say here and what Doug says in the series five documentary because obviously by then it's got the power of hindsight and it's not quite so raw he's able to acknowledge his mistakes and yeah, you know, all the stuff that we discussed on the series 5 yeah. rediscovery yeah. about the, the production didn't give Juliet the support that she needed here it's yeah Juliet didn't want any help it was kind of her fault she didn't ask for any help she chose to do this she wanted to do this it's evidently still a bit more raw and they're still a bit pissed off about the situation whereas 10 years later when they're looking back on it they can be more even-handed and fair. Here, it's still clearly a bit of a sticking point. Mm, for sure. Uh, interesting that she chose Demons and Angels to be the first episode shot as well. Like, get the hardest mm. one out of the way, and Joe backs her up like, that's yeah. a good idea. But then maybe in this particular situation, it wasn't a good idea. But then, like, you know, Rob and Doug are producers. They're, ex- they're the execs, right? <laughs> so, like, why couldn't they have over... Uh, do, do the executive producer mm. override the director or you know had had Ed, Ed yeah like I don't know like maybe it just wasn't how it was done from a practical point of view yes it is a good idea to do the most difficult one first because then you have the time to you know refact but then obviously what happens with everything you run out of all the time yeah it would have been a good idea or if Ed was would you rather you know get up to speed with the simpler ones so you're building up to the hard one yeah maybe the hard one goes second yeah, yeah. 
second or third. Yeah. Get get a couple of relatively straightforward ones under your belt, and then tackle the hard one. Yeah. yeah, because at the end of the day, like it's not about time to fix it, because you you don't even have time to fix the first one filmed until you get your pickup days. Yeah, and that's always at the end because you never have time to go back because you're always doing the next one. So I think so, because there was so much that needed yeah. to be redone after the first one, I think that sort of spelled the you know. The, yeah, no, it was stressed rang, them out. Yeah, yeah, rang the, rang the chance of doom basically a little bit for like, oh shit, this is this is what it's going to be like for all of them. Imagine having like a, a disaster like that episode hanging over you, right, for the whole series, mm. and you couldn't do anything about it until until like hoping yeah. to God that your actors agreed to come in for one more day. Yeah. And actually put in performances that are actually going to be any better. I mean, they must have been working on that. Like, as soon as it wasn't working, they were just like, every episode was getting done, but at the same time, Demons and Angels underneath them all the time were just like, we need to fix this. Yeah, just like hanging around in their head. Yeah. But by the time they got there, Mm. they were really ready to do it and they knew exactly what they needed to do to fix it. Mm, Like, they had the longest time to think about it. If in the fifth episode, Shy would have been a nightmare. Because they still wouldn't have really got their head around what was wrong with it, maybe by then. But because mm. it was the first episode, mm. they had all that production schedule to think about it. It's interesting how they say that, like the, the first scene, presumably with the triplicator, um, mm. was too dark, like lighting-wise. Whereas mm. I don't recall that necessarily on the deleted scenes, it being too dark or anything, or looking particularly weird at all. It's just the the performance was a bit weird. It does say the first scene shot. <clears throat> Uh, Joe asks the first scene shot or the first one on screen and Rob says the first one shot ah, so that might have been fine. the stuff with uh, you know around lurking around the low ship or oh, yeah, right, yeah, okay. yeah yeah that's a good point I mean like in your head when you if you were thinking about this from a production point of view you would shoot all the high stuff first on the set and then you would slowly dirty the ship up to be the normal set and then you would really fuck up the sentiment <laughs> like that production technique that's how i would do it but well, i don't know how did. easy it is to, yeah i don't know what yeah. they're what they're sort of were they different sets they probably were yeah i would mm. love to see shooting scripts from that time because it'd be interesting to see the order of which things were done like from the various recording got... have you have you got demons and angels yeah have you well, the script wouldn't be in shooting order, would it? That would be detailed in the yeah. other documents. Yeah, I've got just a... Shoot, it is a shooting script, but it's not a camera script. Oh, yeah, right, so you need like a, a production just, shooting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A schedule. That's the kind of stuff that would be good for a book, is production schedule. The Back to Future um, visual history book has got like a day-to-day shooting yeah, that's mm. everything that happens as you as it was being filmed yeah. and what was being yeah. shot. Which, which to be fair, is something that um, Jonazawa does in um, well for for Gunman anyway. Yeah. You get a day to day of Gunman, which is just so cool. Like putting you in that time and place when that was being filmed. That's a whole like different perspective. It's, it's a good yeah. episode to do it with as well if you're going to do it at all. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. He should have said Saturday every day. Janice reporter still thinks it's not possible to shoot this. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> like she sat there, she stood watching the whole. No, thing. no, you can't shoot this. I don't think you can do this. Now Some people have some trouble with your accent. Go again. I'm sorry. <laughs> with that praise for Joe Nazaro in mind of what a great job he did with the making of book, can I just point out? <laughs> His opinion on back to reality. Yeah. 
it was nicely set up, but it was a bit of a letdown towards the end with the crew running around in the midst yeah. of the hallucination. Fucking a bit of a fucking letdown. <laughs> like the only bits of the crew running around having a hallucination was the very, very end, like the literally the denouement, the whole yeah. point, the end of the episode, and the car chase scene. Yeah. Which is one of the funniest pieces of physical comedy Red Dwarf ever did. <laughs> so shut up. Yeah. Is Joe frustrated that they couldn't actually shoot that for real? Is that what he's doing? <laughs> Does he think <laughs> that, that was a mistake? He not yeah. get that. Yeah. Oh, is he let? Is he letting the fact that the ending, like the very last line, is possibly, arguably, maybe a bit of a damp squib or like something a bit yeah. more punch could be could have been put in there? Maybe he's letting that just extend out a bit yeah, yeah, yeah i think you're right maybe he's a frustrated well he, he's probably a frustrated fiction writer so he'll have more strident opinions <laughs> it's interesting because like doug literally just says like uh the only wasn't really that punchy like no no no. i'm talking about halfway through did you really think that they'd been settled up <laughs> here with the yeah people, yeah like, and he was like excuse me what no what literally no one has ever had that opinion before joe <laughs> <laughs> The real problem with this is that they didn't highlight Rob and Doug in different colours. I know you mean. Yeah, yeah, pissing me off. It's a great idea to like give you an immediate visual cue of who's talking, but, if you're but then do you're completely that, do it. undercut Complete. it. Yeah, do it. Yeah. <laughs> because my problem has always been is that my brain doesn't parse the Rob or Doug name, so no. like I I'm constantly like, oh wait a minute, which one said that? But if yeah. the colours were different, it feels like it just ends as well. Like it feels like there's another page that's not here this conversation that carried yeah. on and yeah it's like mm. all of a sudden it's just like ah just it fades out the, <laughs> the conversation you can happen. imagine that we're going to see bits of this cut out and put in box outs over the next few issues because i i mean it's not implausible that doug's bit about the omnibus is from this same session mm. like maybe yeah, they've been possibly, a bit yeah. you know yeah but the, the the discussion about Holly is very interesting because could they get called out on the fact? Yeah, they do. That they get has, fucking ruined. Rob says, "Oh, you're cruel," and Doug says, "Yeah, but he's right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cruel but true. It's true but true." <laughs> it's still a problem you haven't really tried to wrestle with. It's like you're not really tried to fix that yeah. problem. You just you've just well, this is proper. You just keep you keep saying we'll do it with it next season. <laughs> yeah. and you never do. I mean, I'm kind of glad that someone took him to task for it because it's it's yeah. true. It's interesting, yeah. It's yeah, proper true. journalism, isn't it? From a writer's point of view, there's nothing you can do with the character. You can't, it's yeah. not working, not working. And if, Maybe this conversation is what tipped them over the edge in the same to get Joe Nazaro ended Hattie Herridge's career. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, you think that guy from this magazine, he had a point. We never do anything with Holly. Yeah. Let's just get rid of it. I can't be asked. I think this is what this is what the undertone is. is like, if the problem's unsolvable, it's unsolvable. You can't keep saying that it will be solved. But then... Having said that, does anyone really mind? Like, it's a shame that Hattie isn't in five as much as previous series. But does anyone really mind that when it's it's nice that she's still there and the bits she does do are still good? Yeah. Like, does it really matter that an actor isn't doing much? No, you know? not really. Like, like you have stories, you're reading books, and you're like, oh, it's a bit of a shame this one character wasn't in it more. Like, isn't isn't that a shame when they could be in it for one page and it's like. You know, incredibly pivotal, and it's and it, it adds to like the the overall feeling of the world just to have them there to know that they exist. Like Lewis Pemberton, like Lewis, yeah, exactly, like Lewis Pemberton, <laughs> like genuinely. <laughs> they were going to go quite meta with Holly at one point, according to Rob. He said, actually, the last thing we think about when the script is getting the final pass is to be sure that everyone gets a fair share. It's just never something we got around to doing. 
it's something we've thought about we were thinking of doing one with the mirror where you go into a room and she'd just be sitting there facing a camera like as <laughs> if like there would be a reveal that holly would be a physical person who's been there they just decided to appear as a face on a monitor. Yeah. Or like or like she she's for some reason like becomes like some sort of weird sci fi thing makes her real and it's just she is created in a way that the crew will understand. Yes. If you see what I mean. So it's like, oh well all I picture is is, is a woman sat down on a chair. But I do want to draw your attention to the last sentence, which is I don't know if we'll do that, but I certainly think we'll be giving Holly a bigger part. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Rob maybe wanted to keep Holly and Doug didn't. I mean, it could genuinely be one of those things. Where yeah. I don't know. In the end, I think it was the right decision. Mm. Which is sad that there's no more Hattie after Series 5, but they didn't just continue. They didn't. Series 6 wasn't just a continuation in the same vein as Series 3, 4, and 5. Yeah. They completely changed yeah. the premise and the dynamic and everything. And so getting rid of Holly, you didn't miss Holly because they were doing something new and different instead yeah. of having Holly there. And the fact that Lost Red Dwarf was a whole like reason to not have Holly yeah. part of it and it kind of made sense and all that stuff. But they did, yeah, they, they, they were a bit harsh on Hattie to be fair because it's the same though. She's just a female Norman, isn't she? But I think partly one of the problems is you've got Norman playing this computer. Is he really dumb or is he really smart? And when you've got a blonde there and she's playing a dumb blonde computer, like... She isn't playing a dumb blonde. Okay, I mean that's Rob saying that, so he wrote it, so he knows. But like, mm. I'm like, did you write it like that? I don't know. Is that a perception thing he's talking about, or is he talking about? I think so. Yeah. yeah. To give him the benefit of the doubt, you'd say that people would see a blonde woman and make assumptions about her. Yeah. In the same way they wouldn't with a middle-aged bald man. That's true. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'll give him benefit. All right. You win this one, Rob. <laughs> Keeping track. Uh, yeah, uh, more of this, more of people sitting down with Rob and Doug and just talking about Picking each episode. The shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why did you do this? <laughs> yeah, like I want this feature for every single series, every single episode. I want them to go through and just give yeah, their yeah. excuses and their opinions, and they're like, "Why didn't this work? Why did this not work?" A book interviewing Rob and Doug, going through series by series. You say. <laughs> who's around that could maybe devise something like that and at the end of this interview they've got to pay the bills they're having the one advert of the issue mm-hmm. a half page <laughs> advert for <laughs> Superman which is published by Fleetway yeah yeah. but you get a free bed no spoilers I'm very interested to see if they ever really get a proper foothold in the advertising market because they've had the odd non-Fleetway sponsor that hasn't been mm. particularly yeah I guess Amiga started to run out of their market yeah, the Amiga yeah, ones. Commodore yeah. Commodore on... but the magazine's like nearly a year old now yeah it's not brand new off the blocks it should be up to speed by now yeah yeah the Red Dwarf fandom is vocal and it is significant but it's never been big really not compared to Judge Dredd but 2000 AD or anything like you know like other Fleetway things Sonic nowhere near you know next is Ref Dwarf this will be the last one I do remember you said the, exactly that at the in the last podcast it will be <laughs> true eventually this will be that unless they start doing ships <laughs> <laughs> Well, you said last time that they've gone through all the main characters. Yeah, well, I'd forgotten and, about uh, Hattie, as always. Yeah. <laughs> it's always the way. Mm. You get through and then you realise, oh, shit, we've forgotten Holly. Yeah. Oh, well. 
another wonderful um, taking a picture of the TV moment. <laughs> Obviously, in... well, how else are you going to get both of them in one go? <laughs> well, I guess series two has been on VHS, so like if you spend a couple of grand on like you know capture equipment, maybe even more money than that in the early night. I don't know. <laughs> um, there's not really there's not, much to say about it. Yeah, if you met Holly, I mean, it's just so. Finally, then, yeah, Jake Bullet Part Two. It's clearly by design. Going from the the first thing in the magazine last time to the last thing in the magazine this time. Was it just two pages last time as well? Because I remember saying it was very yeah. short. So yeah, I guess it's maybe necessary. Maybe it just takes a long time to 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 put these together. Which I can imagine. Or if you take Dave's analysis that it, it's influenced by Sin City, uh, he mentions that Sin City was published in short installments. Ah. So it could be that this is just a direct, like a, it's a choice to only do a couple of pages at a time. Yeah. yeah. And if you view it, it, like we said last time, when it was on the cover and it was the first thing in the running order, it seemed weird that it was so short. But if you see it as one of many strips because yeah. the inquisitor one was only four pages it's only twice the length of this yeah. it just feel it, that just felt it it went over a, yeah it went over a boundary yeah little. i'm continuing to enjoy this it's it's mm. it's kind of like some of some of the individual panels are unhinged in an enjoyable way usually to do Crichton's <laughs> faces yeah so a competitor on a game show where you die if you get the answers wrong was found dead. Yeah. And so he's yeah. on his way to see the body, basically. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm up to speed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I genuinely want to get my head around this story. So he was on stupid drugs, which is like the big, like, what the fuck? The thing that you're going to ruminate on for the next month until the next installment, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, because Jake assumes that he's on smart drugs to help him win the game show. Yeah. But he was actually on intelligence diminishing drugs. So why were they? Oh, I, I wonder if they were spiking show. him, and he was just so intelligent that he could overcome the the stupid drugs. But the TV show was trying to spike him, and so in the end, they just had to kill him instead. And then while investigating, someone tries to kill him. Yeah, someone is driving very fast towards the ambulance. Driving so fast that the ambulance changes its number plate. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see the number plate at all in the earlier thing. They were checking, and I was looking. Oh no. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah, oh, yeah. but it's, it's close, kind though. of yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the it's been thought about. It's, That's it's cool, good. really yeah. cool detail. Yeah, perfect comic book style. I like the little label on the stupid drugs. Oh, like what is that? That is <laughs> yeah, they're testing it, and like the stupid drugs have actually formed a <laughs> derpy face <laughs> in in the <laughs> test tube, which is just. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Like, why not? Like, this is the difference between this and, and Androids. Is that with Androids, like, you do have these kind of like wacky out there like panels, and you just think, ah, where did that come from? Whereas this almost feels a bit more earned. Like, they, they've sold you on on the mm. internal logic of this world being <laughs> yeah. very yeah. chaotic and daft, and you just think, yep, I accept that. <laughs> it's just another route to go down. Yeah, it's like this. It, there's three main comics in this one. Like, ignore androids. One is, uh, like, a main cast, main, you know. It, this is could be set at the end of Series 5, contemporary with the series. It's straightforward. Then you've got a spin-off for The Inquisitor, which takes a concept from an episode and shows you more adventures of him. And then you've got this whole extra 
deep dive into the back to reality universe and like really fleshing that out because like obviously sonic the comic is <laughs> the nearest equivalent because it's the same publishers at the same time roughly they had the obviously the bulk of it was about sonic but they also had other mega drive characters or other sega characters yeah, yeah having their own little side strips and it just fleshed it all out and gave you more and more threads to follow and that's what they're doing here mm. no oh it's slight spoiler to the next one next ambulance chaser so presumably the ambulance puts its fucking foot down or whoever's driving it and it's a, 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 a speed it's packed up against a fucking wall so i don't know how the fuck it's gonna do that <laughs> we will see or rather you shall see for i have already seen <laughs> um rare publicity shot and the back cover mm. yeah yeah it's from backwards i was just trying to figure out is that backwards or is that justice his heart would be fluffier if it was serious for this is going into the water time yeah that's why he looks so happy really good reference photo for people that yeah, want to yeah. yes, I was going to say I didn't realise we had the Rolling Stones like two Rolling Stones yeah and his rusty shelves but no, you can't see it from this angle <laughs> that only leaves one more thing to discuss which is the little next time preview if you want to scroll back to your uh, holograms page oh yeah tiniest tiniest of next time previews it's Scutters yeah. It's showdown time for the Scutters next month. So presumably some sort of John Wayne type thing. Yeah, I like the style. I like the, the art style there. It looks cool. It looks like a polymorph in the background there. I'm it assuming. does. It does. Or like a Grim Reaper with two sides. Look, there's two sides to every story. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of sides, Ed Bye, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Don't say the name, you'll end the episode. <laughs> <laughs> if you say it three times <laughs> don't miss Crichton's advertising debut Okay. Craig Charles on his new TV show and Ed By on almost everything else Crichton's okay. advertising debut must be a comic strip or did, did, did Robert Llewellyn no Robert Llewellyn didn't do his uh, Colgate advert until later in the 90s McLean's uh, actually McLean's, McLean's. McLean's whitening for a brighter, whiter future. Could say that which these is days. again <laughs> is a tagline that could be used for all matter. <laughs> so presumably we're going to get a bit more information about Cyberzone. Yeah, presumably that's the one they're talking about. Because well, I mean, how what other On, myriad of shows is Craig Charles involved with? At the time, yeah. I don't think he was really. Yeah. Oh, he was doing the radio one. stuff, wasn't he? he was doing the, yeah, like, he was doing yeah, a bit of radio okay. stuff. Yeah, the last news update we had was him on Kiss FM. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, well, why would it not be Cyberzone if this is a Red Dwarf? And they said in the news from the Dwarf section that we'll have more reports on Cyberzone soon. Ah, evidently, very soon indeed. But that is all for this edition of this magazine wreck. And if you've been affected by any of the issue raised, do send us a letter. You can leave your comments over at www.ganymede.tv or you can tweet us. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. But until we're next back on the rack, thank you so much for listening. And as always, Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.